three, two, one. Vancouver, April 20th. We're doing a 420 show. Cheeto Santino, Andrew Santino, Tony Hinchcliffe, and me at some big-ass arena. Go to JoeRogan.com. We're doing uh, every year. Hi, Jimmy Norton. Hi, buddy. I do a 420 show. No headphones? You want to do headphones or no headphones? I don't mind doing Casual? No, I don't, uh, I don't you mind do that weird it. thing with one in, well, one out. I have to. I'm claustrophobic. Really? Yeah, it feels weird. You feel like the headphones are trapping you? I don't know. I, I feel like I'm underwater. Like, I don't like the way that sounds. And now I know uh, that's better. I look like an uh, asshole, but it, it feels better. A lot of people do that. Yeah. A lot of musicians do that. They do like one in, one out. It's the air. It's feeling the air. I don't know why. The pressure of the headphones, I just don't like it. I like to be trapped. You do. Trapped in the headphones. No, I yeah. don't care for it at all. I like uh, hearing the other person's voice right next to mine so I don't talk louder than they talk. We don't talk over each other. That's, that's what it does. That's professional, but I can't. Like Howard, I heard, would do it where like they wouldn't even look at each other. Like I have to be in the room looking at the person's mouth. Like I, I don't like to do it. wouldn't look at each other. No, meaning mean? the way they were set up for the cameras, sometimes you're facing both kind of the same way because of the cameras. They weren't always, I don't really? think, face-to-face. If you looked at his old... Set up. Wasn't like Artie sitting behind him at one point? Yeah, Artie was sitting to the side of him. And um, and then uh, the guest was like over there. Yeah. Yeah, I could never do that. Well, you know, Howard also runs a board. That's the difference. Like he's got a bunch of shit in front of him. Yeah. He's actually a trained radio guy. He knows all the Jamie shit. He knows all them switches, all that fancy stuff yeah. over there. Yeah, I have no idea what the fuck's going on over there. I can basically set. I can. I can start and stop, but I hate. I hate running the board. It's distracting, mm. and I don't like doing it. It just. It doesn't feel fun. You know what's crazy is they have full setups now for podcasts, like a a podcast board that you buy. Like it's set up for podcasts. You just plug mics into it, and it's all kind of there. Is there, they have audio compression on those things yeah, too? Yeah, it's called like uh, the Pod Podcaster Pro or something like yeah. that's in the name. Yeah, you can put a phone into it for calls and. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow! Pretty calls. Nice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. In case you want to take calls. I like being live. We're live now, too. On, yeah. On, yeah, I like right being live. Right now on this? No. We're not live anymore. Oh, you don't do live no, anymore? Oh, okay. No. Yeah, because I always like the feeling of live, because if you fuck up, it's out there. No, there was companies that were they were taking clips as we were live and uploading them immediately and building these huge channels with hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Oh. And you could use that for anything. They were selling things. Okay. They had links to stuff. They're basically building a business off of your clips. So you got to be a little bit more... <sighs> you can't let that happen because no. you also don't know what they're going to turn that channel into. You know, they could turn that channel into anything. It's right. like, it's... <sighs> YouTube is still a little bit of like a Wild West sort of situation. Then there was also copyright issues. Like you get three copyright flags in a, in a row. They take your whole channel down. Yeah. And we had gotten a bunch of them. We've gotten them for clips that we show. We got them for pictures. Like you have to try to figure out like what's what is it, what are you allowed to do? What are you not allowed to what's do? What's fair use? And like, is it fair use mean they just don't come after you for it? Like I don't, I don't know what that what it means either. It's it's not that clearly defined, unfortunately. Right. But it's also you know like the, the the internet in general. You know, at one point in time, you can kind of put it like at one point in time. If you went to YouTube, you would find all kinds of shit. That was on people's channels. That was copyright protected stuff. TV shows, right. movies, music, all kinds of stuff. And they've slowly started, you know, not not really slowly. Is it accurate to say they've kind of eliminated a lot of that stuff now? But they're operating at an insane scale. Like the amount of people that upload stuff to YouTube every day is, it's probably unimaginable like if you could see it you can't like, keep up with it right, yeah. if you had a giant screen in front of you and you saw all the videos that are being instantly uploaded to, to youtube at, at any given moment you'd probably be like what yeah like there's more there was some crazy quote that there's more content created today like i think 
what is the number? It's it's almost like in one day there's more content being created than in all of human history before like 10 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Well, how many podcasts are there? Aren't there isn't there like a, a couple of hundred thousand podcasts worldwide? The 700,000? 700,000 podcasts. Yeah, it's it's also, I, I don't know how they keep up with uh, what you're allowed to put on, what you're not. If, if somebody doesn't complain, do they catch it and pull it off? Uh, or the algorithms catch it and pull it off? Sometimes, yeah. Here, what is this? What every minute say? of the day. There's like all these things are happening every minute of the day. 4,166,000 users like posts on Facebook. But what is the... the YouTube right here. 300 hours right. it's uploaded every minute. Wow. But what about um, the thing about data? Like the amount of data that people produce today... It's, a, it's something like that. I think it's like one day's where the data is equivalent to the entire human history up until like 20 years ago or something like that. Uh-huh, ad block, they gotcha. What does it say here? Let's see if they have the does quote. Does it say that? I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's a nutty quote. <sighs> More than 3.7 billion humans use the internet. God damn it. Yep. Who's it? There's people out there with no internet. You know, do you know who Don Gavin is? I, funny you say Don Gavin. I literally, I know who he is from all of you guys. The Boston guys love him. I just got him on Spotify because I've seen clips. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Dane uh, Cook put something up that Gavin is re-releasing an album. Yes. So I'm like, I want to hear him really do stand-up because I've really never watched him. He's so fucking funny. He's really good. Oh, he's great. Yeah, but I never, I never sat down and watched him do a set. Back in the day, he was the king. Like when we were in Boston, you just sit back and you go, "Oh my God, I should quit. I should quit doing comedy." Yeah. He was so good, and uh, he never sent a text in his life until he texted me to be on the show. Really? Yeah. That was yeah. Your, his he's first like, text was to you. Yeah, he's like, "It took me about a fucking hour and a half. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here." Yeah, he's um, he's so old school. Like he he doesn't just calls people. And he had never sent a text. Bob Kelly's like that, though. Really? Like some guys are phone guy. Bob Kelly's a phone guy. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you'll text him and you just won't hear back. And uh, he, he likes to fucking talk on the phone. I hate it. Ah, Joey I, Diaz does that, too. He, he's just a phone guy. Yeah, Joe, but Joey has a logic to it. He goes, I want to hear your voice. He goes, I'm, I'm insecure. I don't want to see no fucking text message. He goes, I don't know what that is. What, what are you saying? I want to hear your voice. I want to hear the love in your voice. <laughs> I'm like, okay. That makes sense. It's also a great way to uh, not have things recorded if you don't want them actually in print. But yes, uh, Bobby just liked the phone. Like yeah. I hate it; drives me nuts too. Because really? people, no, I never. My phone's always on silent. One too many times, I was in a relationship, fucking three in the morning. Arr, arr, you're getting yeah. a vibration. I'm like, fuck. Right, right. So my phone's been on silent for ten years. Mm, ten years. Yeah, ten years of silence. Ten years. Hiding from that ring. Ringers are gross. Like when you hear someone in a fucking restaurant. Like, get the fuck out of here with that thing. But isn't it great watching somebody panic and go into their purse? Yeah. You ever watch somebody panic and reach for their phone? <laughs> like, that's a justified reaction. When you're fucking panicking and going for yeah. your stuff, I kind, of, I kind of appreciate that. Dude, I was just thinking before you sat down, we've known each other for so long, and now we're like these old men on the radio. We've known each other since we were kids. Yeah. Like when I first met you, we were both in our 20s, early 20s, young comics, hanging around in New York, and now we're old. Yeah. We are old. I think the we're first- We're old men. We did a gig together, <laughs> and I remember it specifically, uh, I think you featured actually. I think I was the host and you were the feature, and you were doing a bit about Tyson and Robin Givens, and uh, and I, I want to say it was 1992, up in the- uh, 
mountains in Jersey for a guy named uh, Pat Garini. I could be incorrect, mm. but I think it was around night Lake Apacon. It might have been 1992, but I'm pretty sure that was the year. Could be. Did a lot of gigs. Yeah, it's hard to remember. And you were close with a guy named John Tobin, who yeah. I remember well. Yeah. 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 It's um, the passage of time is a strange thing, man. It really is because uh, most of the time it doesn't seem like it's anything significant. It's just life. You get up when the alarm goes off, you, you eat breakfast, you put yeah. your clothes on. But then one day, you know, you're hanging out with someone like, like you that I, I only get to see you like once a year, maybe twice a year. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh yeah, look, we're old. Yeah. We're, we're fucking, the, the world keeps going and yeah. you keep, you keep on, keep on aging. But do you mind it? Like, I don't mind it because the more people you know that die, like as you get older yes. and they start dying, not yeah. just from unnatural causes, but natural causes. Mm -hmm. You're like, fuck, I guess, like, whenever people die now, as much as it's sad, I'm always like, okay, that's one more person I lasted longer than. And it's not that I'm happy to see them <laughs> yeah, go. I know what you're saying. But you, it's like, I know count I'm your blessings. Count your blessings, man. I'm winding my life down. Yeah. Yeah, you got to count your blessings. It's, it's one of those things where it's so easy to get complacent. It's so easy to not, you know, to not appreciate things. It's so easy. Yeah, I look around my life sometimes. You get depressed and you look and you're like, what am I complaining? I have everything I wanted. Like if you mm -hmm. told 18-year-old Jimmy Norton that he would be complaining about this, I would yeah. have spit on myself. Well, it's like what we were talking about before the show, that there was these people on a show and they weren't making as much as the lead guy who was this famous guy and they were really pissed off at him and complaining and then they, they eventually fucked the guy over and the show got canceled. Now they don't have anything. Yeah. Like you don't realize like how good it is because everyone's comparing themselves to other folks. They're comparing themselves to other people that they're around or other people that they're with or... I remember I was reading something about Iran Barkley. Do you remember who he is? I do, yeah. Uh, former sure, middleweight boxing champion, bad motherfucker. Um, Iran Barkley uh, went broke, even though he made millions of dollars, because he was hanging out with all these pro athletes. And everybody's just outdoing everybody. Everybody's getting a Lamborghini or a gold chain that's bigger than the other guy's gold chain or a bigger house or right. bigger this or bigger that. And the next thing you know, you're broke. You spent it all. Yeah. And you're like, fuck. And it's just this... It's all relative. Like, even though you've got things great, you don't have it as great as that guy over there. So, comparatively, you feel like a loser. But you got to know where you're at, too. Like, getting fired for me, we got kicked off Opie and Anthony in 2002. Best thing that ever happened to me because it showed me that it can all be taken away from you. So, long before this whole culture of just cancel culture and all this shit happened, I had had that moment of life is good, and then yeah. you're out. Fuck that you. That was uh, the Condoleezza Rice thing, right? No, that was on XM. That's when we almost got fired from satellite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, this was um, it's Sex for Sam on, on Terrestrial. This is WNEW. Oh, that's afternoon. when you guys get fired because you had the people and they had sex in a- Anal uh, sex in St. Pat's, yeah. Woo! So that was uh, two years off the air, but that showed me that they can take anything at any time. Yep. So I've never thought I was irreplaceable. I never think I'm, I got it forever. Anything I have, I know, yeah. can be fucking yanked immediately yeah no it definitely can that was a weird one to me because the big thing was that these people had sex in a, a, a catholic cathedral that was the the big reason why they got fired right because they, they didn't ask these people to do it in there did they yeah it was kind of a contest it was known like you would get what they call a two-point conversion if you had anal like there was all these <laughs> weird things and it was a bad move to go into St. Pat's. They went into St. Pat's and uh, there was an arrest. And because uh, there was an arrest, it became real. And it was so avoidable on so many levels. Like you know. so many things. Yeah, you look back, you're like, yeah. why did we just shut the fuck up and it would have stopped? Yeah. You know, why did we push it? But, you know, I'm glad it happened now in hindsight. Well, you know, in a lot of ways, it's there's this thing that people do. 
you know, we were talking about Ari before the podcast, where it's you do things you're not supposed to do. So people go, I can't believe you're doing that. Yep. And then there's this like thrill to that. There's a thrill to it. And then what happens is you have to keep upping it. Yes. You have to keep upping it. Yes. And it, it's almost like you get a fear. Like if I don't top last time, the people who like me are no longer going to like me and I'm going to lose this momentum I've picked up. You become afraid that the people who like you are going to go, you're a fraud. You're not doing what we want you to do. Yeah. So then you keep topping yourself and keep topping. It's like the kid who eats bugs. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You know, th then he's eating a roach. And the next thing you know, he's fucking, he's doing this because he he's afraid of not topping himself and then all of a sudden being ignored right like pat like the intern pat oh yes pat duffy pat duffy the best was, he ate cat shit he drank people's vomit he he was literally <laughs> an indestructible fucking man like if you if you have to build a guy's like in a military he's a type of mentality you want oh yeah for sure you want to get him when he's 18 and just yeah. turn him into a full sicko. savage yeah what is he doing these days? I don't know. I haven't talked to him. I don't know. What about Pat from Wunaki? You know, I thought of him recently. He's on Twitter. I don't know exactly is what he? he's doing. I would love to have him. Yeah, Pat Philbin, his name is. I would love to have him onto our radio show because uh, I miss Pat from Wunaki a lot. Dude, that day where he did the baby bird, the day where they had the eggnog drinking contest, yeah. it was you and me and Burr and Ari, and there was a couple other people in the studio as well. Yeah. That was one of my most fun times ever on the radio. Yeah. So ridiculous. The whole floor. You could never do that today. Never. Never in a million years. We were in Opie and Anthony in the studio. The floor was covered in plastic bags because they had an Opie, uh, Opie and Anthony had an uh, eggnog eating contest and everyone would throw up. There was, you'd get to a certain level of eggnog where you just couldn't take it anymore. And Pat had to throw up because he was diabetic. Yeah. So he shouldn't have been drinking that anyway. No, he shouldn't So have. he's drinking gallons and gallons of eggnog. And when he threw it up, we said, like, he was ready to go. And I said, let's get Pat Duffy to lean his head. Was that your suggestion? Yes. Oh. Well, I was doing Fear Factor back then. <laughs> my, my head was all full of sick things. That was like... What year was that? Two thousand. I want to say two thousand seven. Was it really? To get, that was on. That was on K Rock. That was on a terrestrial studio. Was it seven? Was yeah, it I, that I'm, late? I'm thinking it was. Yeah, it definitely wasn't three because we weren't on the uh, on the radio then. Oh right, right, right. Um, so he leans his head uh, over this garbage pail, and Pat Fumanaki blows just yeah. like a a fountain, like the most insane. Stephen King, like, what was that movie? Stand By Me? Remember when the kid had the, the pie-eating contest and the kid's throwing yeah, up all yeah, over yeah. everybody? That's what it was like. Like, <laughs> it literally didn't seem humanly possible that a person could have that much fluid in their body. And then when he was ejecting it, it was like a cartoon. He's doing it in Pat's face. 2006. 2006. It was 2006. Wow. And I can't believe it. I forgot. Yeah, I used to forget that, uh, that Burr was there that day. Yeah, we were all there, man. It's one God, of those things so you're glad fun. you were a part of, right? Like, I'm happy I was there for that. <laughs> I was happy I got to see that. It was so fun. That show, when it was in its prime, when it was in its peak, was so fun. Yeah. And it was, it was a hang. And it really influenced, in a lot of ways, the way I do podcasts. Because it's, there's no structure. It's just hanging out yeah. with funny people. Just talking about stuff. Yeah. No structure. Yeah, just bullshitting. Wherever yeah. it goes, it goes. I mean, it'll always yeah. go somewhere. I mean, you, exactly. you get people having a conversation. It's always going to flow somewhere. Exactly. It doesn't have to be controlled and regimented. And uh, what do you want to talk? Is there anything worse when you go to a radio show? Like, 
what do you want to <sighs> dude i've done radio shows where they tell you they want you to bring up certain subjects where you have jokes you know there's not even that long ago man like less than 10 years ago i did one of those uh national radio shows in the midwest and yeah. they asked me to do that and i was like what and the, the producer got upset and I go, I don't do that. I go, yeah. I'm not going to do that. And they're like, we need subjects. Like the guy was like pissy with me. Yeah. I'm like, oh. It's hard to do because you feel embarrassed. It's like you feel just you feel dirty. Like when someone's doing your bit and you know yeah. you're doing it, and they're ah, they're fake laughing. Right. Go, oh, oh well, fuck, it's the this worst. Is, who's enjoying this? That's what radio used to be, though. What radio used to be, like you'd go on WAAF in Boston, and you know you would talk to the guys, and you would kind of work in your bits. Yeah, you know, and like everybody did it. Everybody did their bits. Yeah, so, I guess yeah. it was a part of it, but I was never good at it. Well, because you're authentic. But Opie and Anthony was the first to meet. Like, Howard's show was much more controlled. You know, Howard's behind the mixer. Yep. He's kind of controlling everything. There was a certain amount of time that he would talk to you, and then other people would come in, and then, you know, he, he had, like, a, a, a more more of a structure. Whereas O&A, you would go in there, and Anthony would have a gun and fucking... <laughs> You know, Op Opie's behind the mixer, just sort of watching all this chaos go on. Different comics come filtering in, and you know, remember, remember the time Marion Barry walked in? Yeah, he was going on Sway <laughs> next door, and we we he was like a little out of it and loopy, and we fucking we just hijacked him, <laughs> and he kind of walked in like he had no idea who we were. It was really uncomfortable. And I knew he was going to leave soon, so I immediately started asking him about crack. You went right into you knew it was in that pipe. <laughs> And he's, he was like, nobody knows what's in that pipe. I go, nobody knows what's in that pipe. I'm like, you knew what's in that pipe. The fuck are you talking about, man? And the publicists were like, come on, let's yeah. go. They wanted to get him out of there. They wanted to get him out of there immediately. Yeah, that was fun. Marion Barry. He died not too long after that, I don't think, right? It wasn't that long after that, yeah. It was funny, man. I remember there was a uh, an interview they did where there was a news station. They were talking about, to people about his arrest and all this stuff. And uh, they interviewed this guy. He goes, oh, come on, man. Everybody smokes a little crack every now and then. <laughs> I'm like, everybody smokes a little crack every now and then. That's a great quote from a mayor. That's a great mayor's quote. It wasn't him, though. He wasn't saying it. Someone else oh, was saying it about in, defense, him. Okay. in defense of him. Oh, all right. If it was him saying that, that would be hilarious. Yeah, I'm like, how did I miss no, that? No, it was another guy that was on the street who was like, everybody smokes a little crack every now and then. Did I'm he like, get reelected after that, too? Yes, he did. I yeah. think he went to jail, came out, and got reelected. Yeah. Yes. People at DC, very forgiving. LOL. Yeah. yeah. It's Very forgiving. A strange fucking place, man. Strange so how do you handle place. this, man? This whole culture we're in, it's like it's 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 not it's not scary. It's more irritating. Like anything you say, people who are looking to I don't mean if you say something horrible, they're gonna react like you said something horrible. But yeah. anything you say, people are looking for a reason. Like they're looking for something because the high that they get is by going after you and they don't yes. even know that they're high doing it. Did you see that lady that was talking about the Kobe Bryant death and she accidentally said the n-word oh she said nakers yeah nakers yeah she was trying to she thought she was either saying the yeah. knicks or the lakers yeah and she said the the nakers yeah i i think she said the n-word but she said she said she said nakers but i, I you know i i think she said the n-word i think it just it's almost like it's so taboo that it's in people's heads like on yes. martin luther uh king's birthday right. there's always an anchor that gets fired because he can't remember that Martin Luther King Jr. are all separate words and you should not conflate the last two or you're going to get fucking fired. King and Jr., they put it together too fast and June. it comes out wrong. Yeah. 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 That's what happens. That happens all the time. All the time. The word, the word coon is such a weird one too because who the fuck calls black people coons? That's a really old school, old southern, weird, one. weird yeah. racist one. I, 
don't even a know. Strange one. It was a known insult, but I was a kid. But I don't even know if that was one I even heard when I was a kid. I definitely have heard it. I definitely heard it in pool halls. I definitely heard, oh, it, but okay. it was from old dudes. It was like an old dude thing, like guys in their fucking sixties and shit. But um, I had a friend who uh, has severe anxiety issues. He has panic attacks, and he, ha- he eventually had to quit doing stand-up. <laughs> so he was, uh, he, w- he was doing the warm-up for the Bill Cosby show, okay? And he is doing the thing and talking to people in the crowd, and Bill Cosby's obviously a super squeaky clean show, yeah. and the warm-up has to be squeaky clean. And while he's walking around the crowd, he has this unstoppable thought in his head don't say the n-word don't say it don't say it don't say it just don't say that word and he said i'm sweating he goes sweat is pouring down the sides of my face my hands are shaking and i'm so terrified all i could think of is don't say that word don't say that he goes i never say that word yeah i never say that word but his brain because he has anxiety issues and he's, he's got ocd and a bunch of different like he's got yeah. mental issues he was paralyzed in feeling he had a full-blown panic attack so here he is doing warm-up he can't even talk and he's got a microphone and he's standing around these people and then he's becoming ruthlessly conscious of the fact that all these people are watching him and he's like holy fuck i can't do this and he's like his heart is beating out of his chest and he's like the only victory was that i didn't say the word yeah the only victory that was what I was really hoping that this story would end too. I was hoping, <laughs> I was hoping that was in the introduction, and he lost everything. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes if you focus on something that you can't say, yes. I, and I think these anchors get caught up. The woman when Kobe died, I also think that she was just panicking. But it's like if you're panicking and that word drops out, like Lakers, can we hear it? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm sure. I don't, don't want to give any more heat on that. I don't want to make that lady feel bad. It's okay. We don't have to hear it. I don't. You know. Yeah. Poor, poor lady. I don't think she meant it. No, 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 no. Anchor so. means to say that unless live. I mean, imagine like she leaves that and then she fucking dons a hood and she's like, "This is me all along." You yeah, fucks. yeah, yeah. I had this uh, guy in here the other day, Daryl Davis, who's uh, this guy right here. I, I think I saw, I saw his picture. Yeah, yeah. This is his uh, his music. He's converted two hundred different KKK and uh, Nazis to to leave the organization. Two hundred by just hanging out with them, being friends with them. Just getting to know him. And a lot of people were like, I never never really sat down and had a drink with a black guy before. He's like, how is that possible? Yeah. How is that possible? And so just, and he's a musician by trade. I mean, that's what he is, a really good musician. And just by doing that, just by getting to know these people, just getting, and they were like, they just were afraid. They didn't know any people. They just felt like they did. And he's super articulate as well. So like talking to him you realize like oh this guy's really smart and then if you talk to him time after time after time hours after hours after you realize like this guy's fucking smarter than me so when you're doing that you're realizing like oh there's no way black people can be inferior this is nonsense this guy's a black guy right in front of me right now and he's talking using words that i barely understand that's how the guy in the clan would say that's how the guy in the clan felt yeah and after a while he, he asked him to come to his house and he said i'm quitting i'm quitting the clan he gave him his robe Really? Yeah, so he collects robes now. He came in, he brought like grand wizard robes and grand dragon robes. He had a Nazi outfit. He had uh, Nazi flags that guys have given him. Yeah. Do you know when I was a teenager, I was so, I was very, you know, I was young, I was drinking. And I remember I was so anti-Klan. I had read some book on the Ku Klux Klan and it was the preacher for the Klan. His name was in the book. So I called the uh, information, um, I called the FBI 
and I tried to stop a Klan rally, but I called this guy at home, this this Klan preacher, and I started, uh, you know, that's wrong, you're a racist, you know, I was 14, and uh, and he told me, like, no, I left the Klan, I'm not in the Klan anymore, and he actually talked to me for a few minutes. Wow. Yeah, but I was, before you could, you know, I was fucking just 14 and drunk and trying to make a difference. How cool is that, though, that he talked to you? He did talk to me, yeah, and I'll never forget it, and I, my father, I think, knew I was drinking afterwards, because he's like, he heard some of the conversation but i think it started with me calling the fbi where the c i i could you called the fbi a few times back then you called the fbi that's what i would do when i drank yeah i was a <laughs> fucking crazy person i called the fbi yeah. i remember when i met you like oh, fuck we were probably early 20s right yep and i was like why'd you quit drinking and you're like why'd you quit doing drugs and you're like i i, I had to yeah i, I called to. a bomb threat into my high school i remember i cleared the high school i did that when i was uh i want to say i was 17 or 18 and we used to get drunk in my friend's house, and there was a there was a, some number you, you could call for like help from nuns. So I would have my friends sitting around, and I would always call up and pretend that like I would make up these horrible incest stories and terrible sexual things that were happening to me. And my fucking friends would be laughing, and the nuns would be trying to counsel me on the phone. Oh Jesus! And then I called a bomb threat. <laughs> I did it a couple of times, and it didn't work. And the third time I did it, the final time I did it, uh, they actually had people leave the school and go outside while they searched the school. Drunk bomb threats. Didn't fucking TJ Miller do that recently? It was didn't something with him on a train, but it wasn't a threat. He, I, I think he had something with a woman. But didn't he call a bomb threat in? I don't know if it was a threat or if he thought she really had one. Like I, I never got the full story. He thought uh, she really had one? I bet I don't know. I remember <laughs> reading it, and I don't remember what the conclusion was. If you're really fucked up and you think somebody might have a bomb. Like paranoia. Like real, like full-blown paranoia. Like I remember... Um, you know, uh, Jim Brewer, of course, was a legendary yep. pothead. And one time he quit and he quit for quite a while. And I said, well, why? Why'd you quit? He goes, dude, he goes, I started getting really paranoid, like paranoid that people were listening to me and the people were following me and watching me. He goes, yeah. It was not healthy. It was not good. And, you know, I wonder about that. Like when you perturb normal states of consciousness, when you take like the normal way you are and you start changing it a little bit with a little bit of booze, a little bit of booze, a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of depression, a little bit of bad things, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'll take a little Xanax, take the edge yeah. off. Then I'll take a Valium so I can go to sleep. Then I'll take a, a, an Ambien if the Valium doesn't work. And you keep going and going and going and going. You're, you're like, you know how like there's certain things you could do that can give you arthritis, right? There's certain things that corrode your joints. There's certain things you can do that, that make you tired. Like, the more chemicals you insert into your body, the more things you do, the more you shift from like your comfortable base baseline of who you are when you're at your yeah. your healthiest you change you become a different thing and i think pot is just as likely to do that as anything if you're doing it the wrong way if you abuse it i think alcohol can do it i think pot can do it pills speed i think all those things can surely do it but it's strange to see when someone starts to slip away and they start to go towards this like very strange version of themselves that you know they don't yeah. have control anymore. Yeah. Is, is that how you felt like when you were a kid? Yeah, from a very young age. It was a weird, but I was a very addicted. It was like sexual addiction first. Like that was the first one. I mean, sexual addiction was yeah. first? But yeah. you, you were drinking when you were 13, you said. Yeah, but I mean, I was a child. I was sexually active as a kid. Like fucking, I, I've, I've uh, 10 sexual partners before fourth grade. What? I've never told you that? Yeah, oh yeah. How how was that possible? I was blowing all my friends. <laughs> I was a fucking couldn't stop. <laughs> how did that get started? You know, I don't remember the first one, but I remember there's a picture I, I can date it because I there's a picture of me when I was a kid when I split my head open. 
And I was, I remember I split my head open running from the boy who was a year older than me. And I used to blow him, but I was scared of him. He was, a, he was, uh, terrorized me, but I, I would, uh, I remember him trying to fuck me once too, but I was, I couldn't do it. Like I vaguely remember I was in the hallway, my pants were down <laughs> and his fucking dick always smelled like, like fucking mothballs. Cause he wore, <laughs> dude, he wore fucking Budweiser, uh, bathing trunks. They had Budweiser on them and he wore Budweiser, ba- Budweiser bathing trunks. So do you have like mothballs in his drawer, his dresser he drawer? He must have, but that smell is is a visceral memory I have of that kid. He's the kid that pissed in my mouth. I fucking, uh, I was in a public pool in Edison, New Jersey. This is how young I was. I didn't know that. So I went and he, I was blowing him underwater and then he goes, I popped up because he, he pissed in my mouth. So I popped up. I'm like, don't do that anymore. Anyway, all right. <laughs> I put my foot down and then went back and he did it again. So uh, I stopped blowing him at that moment. That's he hilarious. pissed in my mouth twice in the pool. Dude, that is hilarious. So you're blowing him in the pool. Yeah, I didn't think people could Underwater? see me. Underwater? I was so young. If I can't see them, they can't see me. Like that's... Ah! <laughs> but the photo I have with the split on my head is 1973. So I was five. So I know at that age, I was already involved. So I, I have a, 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 an absolute photo that dates exactly. So you were blowing kids when you were five? Yeah. So what do you think started that off? Don't know. It must have been, uh, you know, just one kid. One kid opened the door. The rest of us fucking ran through it. I mean, I don't know. I just don't know what started. I have very vague, fleeting memories. Uh, so at, at five years old, you were all sexually active, you and your buddies? Yeah, and then he got a little older, six, seven, eight. Like, you know, uh, it was, uh, I, I don't remember who was first, who was second. I remember my one friend got erections and I didn't get them. Like, I didn't know what they were. When he was five, he was getting erections. He might have been six savage. or seven. He might have been <laughs> He might have been six or seven. Giant rods at six years old. But I remember not knowing. We used to count sucks. That's what it would do. Like, all right, I'll give you 10 and you give me 10. So you would have one, two, three, (laughs) and you would fucking count sucks. Did you develop technique? Did you figure out, like, what's the best way to suck a dick? I don't know. At that age, I don't think so because I think it was all about getting you to do me after. Oh, right, right, right. I think that was kind of the goal. Right, of course. But there was a lot of it, man. And I have, again, I can date it because I moved Halloween of fourth grade to North Brunswick. So any experience that happened in this place, I know it happened before then. Mm, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So do you think that this kid, did you know that if this kid was molested? Don't know. I mean, there had to be somebody had to be getting fucked because there's no way all of us were that sexually active for no reason. Yeah. I just don't remember. I have too many memories like uh, being in a basement and then not exactly remembering. I have weird memories possibly with adults. Like, it's it, it's kind of like watching uh it fades in and out it fades mm. and I wish my memory was better but it's just no not. one's really is you know that's the weird thing about memories when it comes to being you know a young person no one's memories are very good you have like flashes I have like some things that I definitely remember but because they're like facts like when I was seven we drove across the country you know I remember those yeah I remember we got in an accident on Lombard Street in San Francisco you know that's like the crookedest street in the world right. I remember that because I remember someone tried to pass us and I remember it scratched the car. I remember that. But like there's little tiny things. Like sometimes I'll talk to my sister or I'll talk to my mom. She's like, do you remember that thing? And then all of a sudden it's like I open up a folder. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. Whatever happened to him? You know, like that guy didn't exist in my brain until a couple seconds ago. And then I'm like, look at this old folder. Let's open up my old memory of that fella. You know, sometimes those are scary, though. And like I'm annoyed. I many times drive back to that area because it's in Edison and I'll drive back when I'm doing the stress factory or gig and I'll just I'll drive through that neighborhood and I'll be like what the fuck 
fuck happened here? Right. Something happened here, and it might not just be one moment, but something happened here that kind of shifted me because I don't know exactly what it is. And Dr. Drew told me I was molested. I mean, maybe he's right. I don't know. Well, it, at the very least, you were sexually involved with someone else who might have been molested. Yeah, well, I mean, without yeah. the, the odds are it had to be... One of them. That was another thing that came of this article that I was saying that the origins of homosexuality, that's one of the things they were saying that I was homophobic because the origins of sexuality, homosexuality is them, people being molested when they're younger. That is not what I said. And let me explain that to people. If you're gay, if you read that, you feel bad. That can happen to people who would not be inclined towards homosexuality if they're molested when they're younger. <clears throat> Dr. Chris Ryan, the guy who wrote Sex at Dawn, was explaining it to me, is that there's a, um, you, you pat, like, what is the, the term? Um, not necessarily pattering, imprinting. That you, when you're sexually active, like if someone's sexual with you when you're young, and that person happens to be a man, you can imprint, and you can develop sexual feelings in response to that. Like you get, you, your, your brain triggers sexual feelings towards men where you might not be inclined so like even if you're not actually homosexual you're still turned on by men in a certain way because you were molested it's one of the reasons why they say but they don't really know why people who get molested wind up molesting people but it's really common yeah. it's like you know somebody described it best like it's almost like a vampire bites you and this thing like you're passing it on to the next person this this creepy thing but that you know that this is another thing where people took out of context saying that you know, I'm homophobic. Well, for me, it was all kids in my age group that I remember. I, I have vague adult memories, but not anything concrete that I can say was sexually. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just kind of, it's, it's like a smoke that comes by and it leaves. And that's kind of how those memories are. But with the, with the kids, they were all kids in my age within a year or two of each other. So it wasn't like, I, that's why I don't like being a victim. So I feel like, you know, I, I volunteered, man. I showed up. There was a lot of times I wanted to play the game. And Well, you were five, you know? I mean, I have so few memories when I was five. I mean, I bet you probably don't know why you were doing or what, what happened before that that started it and caused it. I bet the person who you were doing it with... You know, when people get molested when they're really young, one of the big issues is they block it out. Man. Yeah. They don't remember a goddamn thing. They, they, their brain protects them from all the darkness. Yeah, I think so. And I've, I've heard that enough. So I'm almost like I always try to find something to explain. But maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe it was just me and my friends. And then it just kind of developed into something that was fun and it felt good. I mean, it uh, could, yeah. again, I can't, uh, I can't say there was any ominous uh, force behind it. I just don't remember. But it's weird because it's like most kids don't blow their friends. So yeah, like, <laughs> I know. A, by the way, that's a great name for an album. <laughs> Most kids don't blow their friends, folks. <laughs> that should be your next comedy yeah, album. Yeah, my new tour. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, so something, we assume something happened. But it, not necessary, right? Because it, the first kid that blew his friends, I mean, there had to be one guy somewhere sure. in history that was like, I got an idea. Yeah. Let yeah. me just, let me just, <laughs> that looks like a valve. <laughs> <laughs> let me just put everyone's dick in my mouth and see how they feel about it. Like people do, look, who's the first guy to pierce his septum, right? Yeah. Who, who's the first guy to tattoo his face? Who's the, who's the first guy to, to butt fuck? There, there has to be, to be a first. first. Well, yeah. that one might've come simultaneously at two places at once. Right. You never know. That might've been a couple of thoughts at the same time. When do you think butt fucking started? Like chimps clearly butt fuck, right? Like bonobos. They must butt fuck each other. They fuck. Do you know bonobos have? A, they only have one taboo, which is the the mom won't have sex with the son. Wow, isn't that interesting? Yeah, like the whole culture is filled. 
with with sex like chimp bonobo chimps <clears throat> all the 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 males breed their daughters the they they exchange sex it's like a social token like they they resolve issues with sex like they're they're one animal that like clearly has massive amounts of recreational sex and they don't have any violence and the anal, I don't know where that comes. I wonder if that's just because of a position where somebody's on their stomach yeah. and the person behind them or the, or the creature behind them is just like, this, your ass is easier. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of ass fucking. I like it a little bit, but I'm not crazy about it. Yeah. I used to like it more when I was younger. Well, I mean, it seems messy. It has been, yeah, at times. <laughs> at, at times, yeah. There's been a few issues. It could be painful. It's not really supposed to go in there. No, it's not. But some people love it. They love it. Yeah. I can do it once in a while. I can't, you know, I, I can fuck yeah. it. Yeah, not, not a lot. Yeah. It gets a little sloppy. Well, it's, you know, it, it's if someone's trans and they don't want to transition and they don't want to have a, a vagina, they just want to keep their penis, then there's not a whole lot of... Options. Oh, yeah, you fuck them or they fuck you. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's two. You have know, two options. Yeah. So it's kind of, uh, you know, you switch off. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting how the, the just the amount of people that are just people talking about trans people has changed. You know, like what the numbers, you never heard that when I was a kid. Yeah. You never heard it. When I was in high school, you never heard about it. No one was trans. No. No one thought they'd be trans in high school. Now kids in high school are trans. Like a lot of kids are trans. And you got to wonder, like, what, what is that? You know, I think people are gentler with it now. That's one thing I think the younger generation is a little smarter with is that they don't just judge you for it and people can kind of be comfortable being who they are. Yeah. Because the people, I mean, I'm sure trans people existed, but you just... I, I, you didn't know what to call it. Nobody. I didn't know what it was when I first saw it or encountered it. I, I had no idea what it was. Well, there's a movie or a book rather that I read about Custer, and um, one of the parts of the book is about this guy who went somewhere and came back, and his wife had died, <clears throat> and it turned out that his wife had been a man, and everybody found out, and so he had like this this thing. He said. Uh, you know, if anything happens to my wife, you know, like, don't touch her, leave her alone, wait till I come back. Well, right. they didn't do that. They did an examination. They found out that she had a dick. And uh, the guy wound up killing himself. But so this was something that was going on in the 1800s in the Wild West. So this guy was in, like, this Wild West town, and uh, he had a trans wife, and he just, he, they had to keep it quiet. And when people found out about it, he wound up killing himself. Yeah, there's so much shame. It's funny, I just talked about this somewhere else, too, but there's so much shame around it. For the men, not just for the trans people, but for the men who like trans people, there's yeah. fucking just shame. Of course. Um, I, that's one of the things I really appreciate about you, that you don't give a fuck. You talk about everything that you like, you talk about everything that you don't like about yourself, and I think... Because you do that on the radio and because you do that freely and openly, I think you help a lot of people, man. I really do. Because I think you make it because everybody loves you, right? So, Thank like, you. you can come on this podcast and you know you can say anything. You know I love you. And there's no way if your sexual desires or interests is going to affect that in any right. way. And so you could be free and then we could all talk about stuff. And then there's probably some kid out there that's going... I, I, I think I'm okay. Yeah, I think I'm okay. I'm not. I don't think I'm a freak. Fucking everybody loves Jim Norton. Like it's okay. I get emails from people. A lot of guys have sent me messages too. Going, hey man, thanks for talking about that. 
because it made me feel like it was all right to like that or it made yeah. me feel more you know everything we're a culture that likes to scold <laughs> each other yeah because it, it you know it's like you have to be comfortable talking about it and realizing hey you might not say this word right you might not express it right we're, we're doing the best we can to grapple with this whole thing but it's about self-identification for men am i a homosexual that's why guys don't talk about it because we don't know who it makes us i think the scolding thing is a big point what you just said that people are worried that people are going to scold them and you know one of the things that people do when they're worried about that is they scold other people first yep you know, that's what, what bullies are. When people go around beating people up, the reason why they go around beating people up is because they're afraid someone's going to do it to them. They're yeah. insecure. So they want to have power over those other people because they're terrified someone's going to want to have power over them because they're weak. And this is like that expression, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. Like <clears throat> when you see online bullying or on like people ganging up on people online, I guarantee you every one of those people that's doing that is terrified that's going to come back to them. Yeah. And they're just throwing rocks and hoping no rocks come back their way. Hoping, hoping the mob doesn't look at them. Hoping and praying. Yeah. Hoping and praying. Be a you know? part of it. As opposed, <laughs> if you're not a part of it, you could be the one that they're doing it to. Yeah. And I've chosen particularly over the last few years when I recognize like there's a difference between my reach and my influence and other people's. I don't do that. I don't retweet things that people say that are mean to me right. and say, why don't you eat shit fuck face or, you know, like, yeah. oh, what a cute person you are. I, I, I could easily. And then millions and millions of people would see that. And who, then, then this person would go into a fucking panic attack right. and look at their Twitter and their feet and their phones blowing up. Yeah. All the in, inboxes yeah. coming in. Then they have to go see their counselor or their, yeah. their psychiatrist. Like, they get doxxed. You're yeah. dead. I, yeah. That, all that stuff is people. And this is one of the things that I think is a real problem with social media in general and Twitter in particular. The, the that method of communication of just th th doing texts out there once it gets personal like it's one thing if you're like look they just discovered a new city under the ocean that's what i use it for or maybe a joke right. or two but when you get personal with someone like you're getting personal in a way that you're not connecting with them you're throwing a text out there and you're also doing it publicly for the whole world yep. but you're not communicating with that person one-to-one -one, like a human being and because of that, because you're not communicating with them one-on-one -on -one like a human being, you, they, you don't feel them. You feel like you can say mean things. Yeah. You can go after them. You, you almost want it. You, you almost want people to go after them. You almost want bad things to happen just to see if what you're, what you're doing this game is effective. Like, yeah. You know Jamie Kilstein, right? I do, yeah. Jamie talked real openly on the podcast about who he used to be and who he is. Oh, yeah, he used feminist, to do yeah. that. He used to do that, go after people, and he's real open about how he was just completely 100% virtue signaling. Yeah, he just wanted people to like him. And he said, he, I, he goes, I would be walking on the street and I just had to check my phone constantly because to see what, how did people respond to my text or my tweet? How did people respond to, yeah. you know, I'm attacking some senator for you fucking bigot, you homophobe, and, and just checking his thing constantly. And then, yeah. and then afterwards, they came after him because you can never be virtuous enough never never there's no one out there that's virtuous enough and if you're going to be cruel to people get ready because it's coming back at you it's coming back to you and that's the beauty like you know i like i mean i, I never want to shame other people for that shit like just if you make a mistake or you say something fucking stupid so be it like yeah. who am i to sit there and get mad at somebody i mean believe me and people come at me i mean my preferences are not always fucking popular online either i mean you know of course i get called horrible shit yeah. i just don't it doesn't bother me but i I mean, I mean, I'm a 51 year old man too. It's a, it, when you know when you're 51 and you've come through the environment of stand up for 30 years, 
it's a little easier to have a thicker skin sometimes too. Yes. Whereas somebody who is 19 or 20 who has been raised in this fucking, this psychotic, fake, polite culture, because it's not polite, it's vicious. Right. It's fake polite. Right. Um, and then when they start getting insulted, I, I don't know if they a lot of times know how to process that. No, most people don't. And you know, you also understand what it is that's causing people to behave the way they're behaving, whereas a 19-year-old just thinks they're terrible and they need to die. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things that's so awful about kids that get bullied online and wind up killing themselves. Like, you didn't... You know, you had to just get through that. If you got through that, you would understand what it is. You know, you'd understand that these people, these are just, these. anybody that's saying that to you, that's a damaged person. They're all fucked up themselves. And if you were around them personally, you and them alone in a room, I guarantee you they wouldn't do that to you. No, most of, and, and most of them, you wouldn't even want to do it to no. them. Like, you, you've talked to people, and most of them, you're like, oh, you, your hands feel the same as anybody else when I shake right. them. I'm like, hey... And you realize they're okay. Yes. The, the separation that social media gives us, along with the connection. Like, you get this connection where it's like, you can send a tweet out and maybe you can reach people and they go, oh, that's kind of cool. And then there is this weird connection. But the disconnect, like the emotional and the social disconnect, the lack of social cues between two people when you're just communicating online, that is, that's not good for us. We're not supposed to communicate like that. It's, yeah, no. It's, it's bad. It's impersonal. It's, it's kind of dangerous to a lot of people because- it gives you this false sense of, of you know, you like you're n like you're not saying something that's going to hurt someone. You, you like if you were in front of that person, you wouldn't want them to cry, but you want them to cry if you're not there. Like you want to say the most vicious, sure. mean shit when they're not there. When people like you know, and again, we, we mentioned Ari. You know, I know I know you love Ari. I love mm -hmm. Ari. I've known him for many years. When you're when when someone says dumb shit, and people do say dumb shit. And then there's people get there are times when people are justifiably mad at you. Like, hey, look, you said something really stupid publicly. So yeah. people heard that in the middle of their grief <clears throat> and they're like, Hey, fuck you, pal. Like people yeah. are angry. Yeah. But then it gets to a point where those that day has passed and then there are people who just want to hurt you for it. There's mm -hmm. people who just want to punish you. There's people who just want to see you suffer. So like, like, how do you tell all the time who's just reacting to something you said? Because as a comedian, I say public things. People who are in the public with me have the right to say something. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think what Ari did, you have to come up with a new word. Cause I don't think dumb is good enough. We need a better word. It's, it was so stupid, but it's also what you said earlier that you got to keep ramping it up. Yeah. You do think what we were talking about earlier. Was that before the podcast? Uh, I think it was before Adnan. I think, yeah. What the, the thing is when you do outrageous things just to get people to like, Oh, look at Jimmy's crazy. Look yeah. at the, you gotta you get caught in a trap and you keep doing it more and more outrageous and with ari he's always done this thing where when people die <clears throat> he would make the meanest comment even about someone he loved like tom petty he said some horrible shit about tom petty and aretha franklin and all, all these different people that died but he just did it for shock value yeah and you gotta keep upping that every time like every time someone dies People like his sicko fans would go straight to Ari and want Ari to comment on it. Right. And you know, it's a trap, man. That's a that's a terrible trap. And you you see guys lean into those things, right? Like it becomes a part of their persona, it becomes a part of their identity. Well, the trap is also when you if there's something you don't want to say, or if you're like, nah, that's too fucked up to say. But if I don't say it, they're going to think that I'm selling out or I'm not the same performer. Like you have yeah. to be willing to uh, 
disappoint people that want to hear that too if you're going to survive in that kind of a in doing that stuff yeah i don't know how what's going to happen with ari like how he's going to get through this but in some ways and i never want to say it's a good thing that he did that but he needed to know that there are consequences for just just saying ridiculous shit that you're not supposed to say when people die you know and he's a, the th really fucked up thing about ari is he's a really good guy but in his persona sometimes he's a heel and he does it on purpose yeah you know and so like you see that video and he's ang you know he's like smiling and laughing because kobe bryant's dead that's his heel persona yeah and he thinks he's playing up like oh this is gonna be great people are gonna be so mad but he had no idea he had no idea he misjudged the country's grief oh yeah and obviously i think there's he didn't know who else was on the helicopter he didn't know the i believe this explanation when i read his explanation i believed it like i don't when I first saw it, I didn't know if he was serious or not. I mean, I know what he does, but I just saw that clip. I'm like, maybe he hated him. I didn't. He didn't. Um, I didn't know what he was doing. But then when I read his explanation, I believed him. One part of me feels responsible. This is why. I convinced him that he could have an iPhone and that he could be okay. Just put a timer on it. I go, just put a timer on it. I go, my daughter has a timer on her phone. She can only use it for an hour a day. Just put a timer on your phone. And... He should have stuck with a fucking flip phone, man. Yeah. He had a lady that was uh, posting for him, a friend of his. Like, I think he gave her some money, and he would he would uh, send his tweets to her or stuff like that, and then she would post him for him. I think that's how it went. And uh, that's way better, because then you got a filter system, There's you know, where she could call him up. What the fuck is wrong with you? And he'd be like, what? What did I say? Yeah. Like, don't, no, I'm not saying that, asshole. He's like, all right, you're right, you're right. What should I say? You know, like, and there was like a humanity level. Look, and also, Ari is legitimately insane. Dude, he's, he's definitely got layers of ins insanity that he, he battles with. He, he does. And, I'm, and I, it's funny. When I hosted Down and Dirty with uh, Jim Norton, and there was a bunch of comedians on, Ari was one of the comedians I had on. And at the end of his set, he took his dick out. <laughs> he fucking pulled his pants down, took his dick out on HBO. And they were furious. And no one knew he was going to do it. And I had to go out and shake his hand with his fucking pants around his ankles. And he waved at the crowd. And I don't even remember if that made the final cut. But that's 2008. So you know somebody who has a reputation of just doing completely crazy shit. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me when the person does something that is crazy. No, he's always gotten a certain amount of attention for doing he was the he's the wild man, you know? He's uh you know, he doesn't have any responsibilities. He lives like a vagabond. He's made a ton of money, but he lives in a tiny apartment. Yeah. Like that was always the reputation. Now he I guess he lives with his girl. But uh he he never bought a car. He had the shittiest, oldest, most fucked up car. It was a manual transmission car because that was cheaper. Like Ari's like so frugal. Like he would he, he uh. would he would get mad at people like, "Why are you spending your money? What the fuck is wrong with you?" Like he like, "Why are you buying a nice car?" Like that to Ari was like the dumbest shit you could ever do. He wanted to like hoard all his money and then not have any responsibility. He wanted to make sure that he could just disappear and go to China for three months right. and just hang out. Not owe anybody anything. Not owe anybody anything and be free. Be like legitimately free. So like anytime he felt like he was trapped in any sort of corporate structure or anything, like, he would fucking panic. You know, like, and that's one of the, you know, it's, it's one of the parts of his personality that where he kind of leans into this like sort of outsider role. You know, he, he doesn't want too much success like he would get mad when people started uh taking pictures with him after the sober october shows he's like you fucking assholes made me too famous 
He was like, I can't even go anywhere. I'm like, that is the most hilarious thing to say. He was actually mad that he was going places and people wanted to take pictures with him. No, but is it really that he didn't like it or is it like sometimes you get afraid of it because then you taste it and you're afraid it's going to go away too. That's one thing with success. The more of it you get, the more scared you are that they're going to rob you. I don't think so with Ari. With Ari, <laughs> I, I think he actually didn't like it. Like he likes a certain amount of anonymity. It's one of the reasons why he liked going to Asia. That's why he went there on vacation because no one knew who he was. He got recognized like twice in four months the entire time he was there. He loved it. Yeah, he loved it. He should go there right now. Yeah, it might be a good time to lay low. Might want to move there. I just don't know how often, I mean, or how how long it'll take before this, if it does at all, blows over. He made that little sort of explanation on his uh, Instagram, but... It might almost be better if he did a video. Yeah, you almost have to humanize yourself and discuss what happened because it's very yeah. hard to explain that to people because then they're like, yeah, there's dumb friends that are defending him. Well, like, that's, no one's defending him. No one's defending no one, what no he said. No one's defending him. You know, I would never defend what he said. But what I would say is, there's like, I'm not a moron. I'm friends with him. I love the guy. I, it's not because he's a bad guy. He's a great guy. He's one of my smartest friends. He's very interesting. But he's also... We're all crazy. I don't know a yeah. single goddamn funny person that's not crazy. Yeah. But his crazy is a different kind of self-destructive crazy. It's a different kind of crazy. You know, you have your crazy. I got my crazy. Yeah. Robert Kelly's got his crazy. Everyone's got their own crazy. You know, w w there's, there's something that compels you to want to be on stage in front of all those fucking people talking every night, telling jokes, doing it on a podcast, doing yeah. it on the radio. It's a, a real weird personality that causes people to do things like that yeah and you're around people who are doing it and who are doing it really well and then you see them getting more and more successful and then there's like uh, like you know you don't want to yes. watch everybody pass you by either right so you're like oh this thing works for me let me just keep doing this thing like, right and then you kind of get married to doing that thing that works for you yeah you lean into it you lean into what you love and we, i've seen that happen with people where all of a sudden they seem like white nationalists I'm like what is going on and i realize oh that's where they're getting attention from they're getting yeah. attention from all these people that are like you know, kind of, they're kind of like into white nationalism. And so they start leaning into that. I'm like, was that guy always like that? Did he hide it from me? Like, how did I not right. see that? I just thought he was conservative. And then I think what it is is like that's where their bread's being buttered. That's where they're getting attention. And so they, they like, yeah, 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 go tell them. Go get them. Yeah, it's white people have been the one, the founding people of this country and white people this and white people. And you see them start to repeat those sentiments. And you go, oh, okay, you're leaning into the attention. That's what's yeah. going on here. Because people there like you and yes. they're, show, they're showing you love. So yeah. it's kind of hard to risk losing people who yeah. love you especially oh, as a yeah. performer we're terrified of it well especially when you start developing an audience and that audience is like you know that's those are the people that actually like you they actually love you they actually will come pay to see you that and so you go okay what do i have to do to get them do you mean like here's a good example like my early act when i first started doing stand-up was terrible but what I realized that there was three stages of stand-up in my career. The first stage was I was doing anything to get a laugh. Yeah. And it was basically like a tool. Like uh, I was like I had a ruler or a hammer or a nail, and I, I had no connection to that material. I would tell joke jokes, like street jokes. If someone told me a street joke, I would tell that yeah. on stage. It was no, there was no art to it. No. I was just terrified, and I wanted to get laughs. Then... Once I started doing pretty good and started, I would work professionally and I was getting some gigs and stuff. Then I started doing stuff that I thought was funny. And I was, I remember being so happy with that because I'd be like, instead of being so scared 
of like just being out there and God, I gotta get a laugh, gotta get a laugh, gotta get a laugh. What what are I gonna do? Get a laugh. Instead of that, then I would get into like, what do I think is funny? Right. And then and then I would go, here's what's fucked up to me. Like, why is this? And then like people go, that's really smart. Like I remember pe- people saying like, oh, that's good material. That's your new stuff. I love your new stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, finally I'm doing stuff that other people that I like, like people that appreciate things that I appreciate would think are funny. Then once I got better at that and I became like a real, like a headliner and established, then I started turning ideas into comedy. Then I would turn ideas like, like I had some complicated ideas that I worked on for years to try to turn into bits. And one of them was the, the, the de-evolution of man. Like I put it on my 2005 uh, Netflix special. I don't even know it's on Netflix anymore. Showtime, it was, it's just called Joe Rogan Live from 2005. Right. And it was a bit that I worked on for years about um, how dumb people outbred smart people. And that's what the pyramids are. Like we outfucked the smart people and they just left us with a bunch of shit we don't understand. Right. And it was this long, it took me forever to work that bit in. And that bit to me was like, it was like, okay, now I understand how to turn a concept into a into a bit not just things that i think are funny but things that i think are interesting and try to get those interesting ideas and and put them into stand-up form and things you want to say like the key for comedians and where a lot of comics go wrong is my like it's got to be funny too like we have to be funny while we're like i never go on the stage and think i'm going to teach the audience a fucking i'm not going to educate the fucking audience hate that if they learn anything from it or if they like it's got to be funny first though it has to be fucking funny and i look at my old stuff man oh it's bad oh me too fucking that was a character (laughs) happy go lucky you know how we doing like oh it's repulsive Dude, it's fucking repulsive. But isn't it so nice you got through that and now you're something different? Thank God I got through it. Yeah, yeah. I just started standing there and yeah. talking and being more comfortable. Yeah. We used to do that thing on Opie and Anthony where you would dissect your old stand-up. And I brought in a 1993 stand-up tape and Colin, Patrice, Voss, um, and I think Paul Mercurio is the other comedian dissected it on Opie and Anthony. <laughs> it is really fun. It was humiliating. Oh, I've got some old videos, man. I can't even pull them out. They're embarrassing, right? Oh, they're terrible. Because they're revealing. It's like, look how hard I was trying. Oh. I wanted to be liked so bad. Do you ever go over your old writing? Yeah, I, I have every joke I ever written. I used to write them on packing slips when I worked in a fucking uh, when I worked for uh, Christoph Silver. Really? I, I would put What's them on Christoph Silver. It's a very high end silverware place, and I oh. worked there on, in a packing. Uh, I would be like shipping and receiving, so I would write these on the back of fragile stickers, all these jokes, and yeah, I have That's all hilarious. that shit. Do you know who Owen Smith is? Owen Smith, yes, dude, he's one of the best comics in the world. He's one of those guys. Uh, I'm working with him actually tonight at the Improv. But he's one of those guys when he's on stage. I'm like, how the fuck do people not know who he is? Because yeah. he got a lot of writing gigs. He was writing for a lot of sitcoms, a lot, of, a lot of different like really well-paying writing gigs, and he has a family, so yeah. he didn't do the road. He didn't really travel a lot, but he's a fucking murderer, man. Yeah, he's funny. Anyway, he had this concept for a show, and I filmed an episode of it. I don't know what he's done with it yet, but it was bring your old notebook. So I, I found all these notebooks that I still have, and I busted them out. I was amazed. I mean, I have notebooks from the like 91, yeah. 92, and it was so bad. There, I even had uh, built-in ad libs and built-in reactions from the audience. Uh-huh. Then someone from the audience would say this, and then I would say that. Like, And I'm like, I didn't I. <sighs> I would ever, I remember in the beginning trying to sit and write and literally being such a moron. I had 
such a piss poor grasp of the English language, first of all. And then second of all, just sitting there, no idea how to write things. Just no idea. And so I would just write and hope a joke would come out of it. And it never did. And so I, <laughs> I kept, you know, back in those days, the only time I came up with good bits was literally either talking to my friends and laughing, usually when we were drinking, or uh, on stage. Like occasionally on stage, I would come up with an idea. And then I would, you know, sort of foster it or uh, feed it and try to make it grow. But going over that fucking material was so painfully embarrassing. Yeah. It was so bad. It's humiliating the old stuff. I don't mind reading it though, because my persona is what I hated more than my writing. So watching myself perform those old bits, because I had like the baggy workout pants, like bodybuilder pants. <laughs> Dude, I was such a cunt. I was so awful when I started. The writing I can look at because it's detached from the fucking little character I would do on stage. It's funny how there's some styles that just don't make it. But for a while, everybody has them. And, so, and then mm -hmm. everybody wakes up like, what the fuck are we wearing? Yeah. Do you remember Cavaricis? I do, of course. Dude, I ate gigantic plates of shit one day <laughs> on stage wearing Cavaricis. <laughs> and I'll never forget how stupid I felt. These, these tight, they're tight here and then baggy yep, from the thighs yep. out. And I'm wearing these stupid things and I'm on stage and I'm bombing. And I remember like looking down at the way I was dressed and I had a button-up shirt and I, was, I followed Jim Brewer. It's was a pivotal moment in my career because I, I bombed so hard. I, I really like tightened up my act after that. I really got to work because it was the most painful bombing I ever yeah. had. But I'm standing there with Cavaricis on with a nice shirt, like a dress shirt, like I'm going to the club. Yeah. Dressed like an entertainer. Oh, dickhead. What a dickhead. And then I'm looking down at these fucking terrible pants. And those pants were the shit for yep. like two years or three years and then everybody was like what the fuck are we wearing and they just went away wasn't it do it there was like a members only jacket with it or, or like capizio shoes uh, do you remember capizio shoes were I very do, but big? i don't i can't picture them in my head jamie pull up capizio shoes yeah i remember them from uh i, I want to say early 90s or late might have been late 80s but i remember uh, a guy i knew uh, a sober guy i knew we, were, we used to go to these sober dances which were very fucking depressing. Like I would yeah. do that when I was 18 and 19. Wow. Just to go try to meet girls. Um, and they're sober too. Yeah. And they're all suspicious of you. You just want to fuck me. I know what's going on here. No, I would just kind of stand there. Just kind of stand there in that's the back. That's a Capizio? No, that's not what I, the The black one maybe. What are those oh, yeah, things? there you go. That's kind of, that's like bowling shoes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that with Cavaricis. Yes. Yeah. Ugh, like you're a ballet dancer. Yeah, they were not good. I'm your private. How about that? <laughs> I want to get Aladdin shoes. Go, go, go up right there. Click on that. No, the Aladdin shoes, the curly tip ones. Look at that. I was a That's, yeah. we got to bring those bitches back. Elf shoes. <laughs> Somebody who somewhere wore elf shoes, right? Wasn't that the court jester thing, though? That was like to make the king laugh. You kind of had to dress like an asshole. Right. Can you imagine being a fucking... You're basically a bad comedian... D dancing around for a murderous dictator. Yeah. And if you did anything to piss them off, they would just cut your fucking head off in front of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you Bring me another one. You probably became a good comedian fast because you knew you read the room. You oh. knew exactly what you could say, what you couldn't say. You knew who to go after, who not to go after. I would love to have seen what it would be like to be a court jester in front of like Henry VIII. Yeah. Like some murderous fucking ruthless king who just... Just didn't Henry VIII kill like a bunch of his wives? They I didn't think want to get he divorced. Did. He just cut their fucking heads off. Yeah, and wasn't he married to Anne Boleyn? Am I remembering a different? Uh, I for some reason I remember her name. I don't know who that is. Anne Boleyn. Yeah, I want to say that was one of his wives, but I could be wrong. I don't know who that is. I'm a dropout, so it might have been something I'm conflating from two <laughs> stories. <laughs> well, I dropped out too. I didn't drop out of high school, but I dropped out of college. How many years did you his do? Second wife. Three. What is it? His second wife. 
Anne Boleyn was, was right. Boleyn Did he behead her? She fell on a sword. Yeah, she, she slipped. This mistake. No big deal. I thought he killed her. I could be. Uh, he killed a few of them, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. But you wonder what the bombing was like for those guys. Like, they, oh. like there's a certain uh, a court gesture. The the, the pressure. Uh, and would bombing get you killed, or would you have another day? Well, imagine, right? How many times have you said a joke on the air, and it didn't really go well? Like, you tried it, took a swing, and, it, and everybody's like, Jimmy, what the fuck? Ah, yeah. I fucking tried. Sorry. Yeah. But if you do that in front of a king, yeah, you know? There's one. There's an Opie and Anthony clip called Jim Norton's Epic Carpet Bombing, <laughs> where it's a fucking, it was one day where I just had nothing. Like I was on yeah. no sleep and I oh. come in, I was wired <laughs> and I bombed for the entire four hour radio show. Oh. And there's like a, probably a 12 minute clip of just me bombing throughout the four hours. <laughs> the more comfortable you get, the more freeing it gets too. <laughs> you know what I mean? You get more comfortable bombing and you can kind of embrace it and soak in, you know, in what it is. Oh God. Yeah, I love those old clips. We are so lucky. I mean, you were a giant part of that show. But I feel real lucky that I was a part of that show. I really do. I feel like uh, with guys, like guys like me in comics, that to us was the most comfortable environment we could ever find. Yeah. Like, I, I enjoyed doing Preston and Steve and, you know, and uh, doing K-Rock and, you know, Kevin and Bean and doing all these different radio shows. I really enjoyed yeah. them. Yeah. No doubt. But there was something about Opie and Anthony where I would get so excited when I was go when I was there. When I was in New York, there was not a question of whether or not I was going to go. Like if you guys were going to have me, like fuck yeah, we would get up early, we would smoke weed, <laughs> we'd come in barbecued, we'd just be so happy to be there. I'd take edibles. I would always have like edible lollipops. Like, I couldn't wait to be on air with you guys because it was, it was you could be what you were if you were hanging out at the store yeah like we're if we're hanging out in the back bar of the comedy store and everybody's just talking shit and laughing that's what it was like on opie and anthony there was no other environment we could just be just just comics being comics just hanging out yeah going back and forth being mean to each other yes, yes. i mean it was some vicious <laughs> voss the voss must have skin like a fucking rhino he does he does <laughs> and a brain like one <laughs> the beatings that he would take oh but he was also rich is so fast too oh yeah uh, that he, voss was a guy that you could hit him you could hit him but like as soon as you turn around when he hits you back it was it was a fucking a, a Killer line. Yeah, like Voss is really, really. Uh, Bobby is great at that. Oh yeah, just fucking. Uh, what, you'd walk into the comedy cellar and they're laughing before you get there. And you're yes. like, oh, it's gonna be a long fucking night. <laughs> it's gonna be well, a long night. Voss, you know, Voss was a master at dealing with hecklers and shitty crowds. You know, I did so many bad gigs with Voss. Oh my god, we did so many. Fucking Bob Levy gigs. Remember yeah. when Bob Levy used Bobby to book? I love Bobby Levy. I just talked to him. Yes. Tell him I said hi. I love him. He used to book gigs. I did a couple of his gigs with 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 Voss. He's having a hard time. He had a fucking accident and his neck is fucked up. So he's trying. He's getting insurances fucking him around. He's What's trying wrong to get with his neck. He he got. I think he got rear-ended and he is trying to get the insurance, the auto insurance, to pay for his surgery. He can't work. Bob Levy's had a hard time, man. So is that a disc issue in his neck? Is that what I it is? I think so. Yeah, but, he, but he's fucked up. He's in a lot of pain and he's trying <sighs> oh, to. That sucks. Yeah, it sucks, man. He's, uh, he's always been a good guy. 
Dude, I a lot of those guys, him, Jim Florentine, a lot of those guys, I wouldn't have a career without those guys. How's he doing? How's Flor- I haven't seen him in Florentine's a while. Florentine's doing well. Too. He's got a podcast now on Barstool, so he's starting to do oh. something uh, that's really going to get him a huge new audience. Dude, I just heard they sold Barstool for $450 million. I see oh. you nodding. Wow. Yeah, yeah they got an uh, investment or a deal they made with Penn Gaming, who owns a bunch of like casinos, including like the the Tropicana thing in Vegas. Yeah, to make uh, I think they get like thirty six percent now. In a few years, they get can go like fifty percent, depending on how Jesus Christ going. the stocks way up already. They have stock. Well, that Penn Gaming company does. Oh. so yeah. Imagine Barstool had stock. Well, now you can Dude, invest in them. I that's guess. Fu- we need JRE stock. <laughs> hey, I wonder if it would have gone up last week. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get uh, become a publicly traded company, isn't that when this shit all happens? When everybody they try to get kick out like fucking probably. like uh, John, what's his name, John Schnatter from Who? Papa John's? Like they start oh, getting ready to boot you out of your own yeah. company because oh, you yeah. say something stupid. Oh, you definitely can. Yeah, that that definitely can happen. Yeah, pop, Yeah, as soon as you're involved, I'm just kidding about that. I would not want JRE stock. I remember oh Bob God. Levy had a girl over his house. I got laid so infrequently in the in the uh, in the old days, and uh, he had a pretty girl at his house who liked me. And my father drove me there. This house was probably twenty two years old, and in a snow, what was the worst snowstorm of the century at the time? And my father drove me eight during miles during the snowstorm during the snowstorm to Bob Levy's house to get laid. And I fucked this girl in the bathroom, Bobby's bathroom, and I was standing in cat litter. And I was <laughs> 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 what a good dad you have. Yeah, my dad's a great guy, yeah, but he knew. I told him, Dad, there's a girl there, you know. Oh, God. And I think he just was, he just wanted to, he was happy I said that, so he was just like, all right, I'll take you. I don't miss driving in the snow, but I do miss, there's certain parts about driving in the snow that I do miss. Like, when you actually made it, like, it was hard to do. To, hard to get home, but when you got home, boy, did you appreciate being home. You felt great, yeah, when yeah. you actually got where you had to go. You close the door, and Yeah. <sighs> you sit down, you fucking make some hot chocolate or something, watch TV, you like felt so comfortable. I'm home, it's warm. Uh, like You don't appreciate good weather unless you experience shit weather. That's right, but I, I don't miss doing the gigs. I mean, I still do them, but when you're driving like in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. where they're the two and a half hours over the hills to get to the gig, and it was like panic-stricken because I'm afraid I'm going to fucking uh, I'm gonna hit black ice. I remember mm-hmm. one, I was so bad the driving that I had to park my car and call my girlfriend to come and pick me up at her sports car. It was such a humiliating moment as a man to have to pull over and Oof. go, I can't drive on the ice. Oh my God. And my God. girlfriend had to come and pick me up and then she in took me. In a sports me, car. That's sports hilarious. Car. Yeah, I didn't realize what a fucking tour. Oh my God. I was driving my father's Taurus. I remember driving once and the snow was so bad I was having a hard time discerning where the road is. Yeah. I couldn't figure out where this the road, what's the side of the road, because the snow was so deep. It was getting to the point where it was hard to f- see where the road was. You know, that's where shit gets weird. Yeah, when you're driving like through the Adirondacks or upstate New York oh, where there's no light, it's, yeah. just, it's black. Yeah. It's black, and then there's fog, and then there's uh, snow coming at you. It is mm. really... And you're like, I'm 51. I've been driving since I was 19, and I'm still... I, it's like, shut up. Just do 20. You got to do 20. You, you can't to. You can't blow through this like you're an experienced driver. Well, every time I used to be on the highway and I was be driving slow and carefully, there'd always be that one dipshit that goes flying by. Yeah. Just goes flying by. Like, he knows how to drive in the snow better than anybody. And you're a bunch of pussies. You can't handle it. And he's fucking... And you'd always hope to see him wrapped around a pole about a mile down, but you yeah. never did. I saw a car carrier fall over once. That was wild. With wind? Yeah. Um, no, he jackknifed. Jackknifed in the snow. 
and uh, wiped out. Fucking cars scattered all over the highway. It was wild. It was wild. It was, but he just he slipped. I saw him losing it, and by the time I got there, he was tipped over, and the cars were hanging out. He just lost control of this. You know those fucking things. They don't. They're so unwieldy. You know, you got thirteen cars stacked up yeah. on this crane thing behind you, and this guy just lost his shit. And it was just so snowy. I was heading to Western Massachusetts to try to get laid. Not even for a gig. It was for a girl. A girl uh. I was dating. I wasn't doing comedy back then. I think I was seventeen. 17 or 18 I barely could drive terrible driving and I remember this long trip to Western Massachusetts It was long normally, you know, it was like a right. couple hours normally But now with all the snow and everything it was brutal. Did you make it? I made it. Yeah, I made it Yeah, it's crazy what we do to get laid back in those days. Oh my god And now it's like look if you don't hit me up on Instagram, it's just not <laughs> fucking happening What do you want me to tell you? I can't do it anymore. Well, you know, this is what I was trying to explain to someone once that when you know a woman actually when you are an 18 year old boy you are a drug addict okay and you're 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 a drug addict for sex and you've only been having sex for a little while for me it was like two i think i got laid when i was 16 so it was like two years so and just you're a straight up junkie and sex was the most exciting thing of your life like it was so much more exciting than anything else I did, so much more interesting than anything else I did, and I wanted it so bad. And then you're so horny, you know, that like you all you're thinking about is how you could possibly have sex. Yeah. And so you, what do I got to wear? What do I got to say? What do I got to do? Where do I got to drive? What do I? I mean, you don't realize what immense power it has over your life, and I think it has a lot of power over women's lives. Obviously, I've never been a woman, so I don't know what it feels like to want dick, but I would imagine it's it's probably pretty similar, which is why there's so many fucking people on the planet. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a 50-50 pull, I would, I would say. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times, it's not even the sex. I remember being a teenager, and I would pick up, I would go out and get a hooker, and then afterwards, my favorite part would be talking to her on the way back. Really? Like, I loved talking. Like, I, I really, I think a lot of it was I misidentified being lonely with wanting sex. Like, there was times I was horny... But there was times where I would come, or I would I wouldn't be able to come, and I would just jerk off, and I'd be like, "No, I can't come." But then I would just sit, like, let's let's talk for a little while. Like, really, I would, always my favorite part was talking to them, driving them back, getting to know them. D how many did you talk to? Uh, every girl I had picked up. And so you would have like long conversations. Did they enjoy the conversations? When they when they were willing, but again, th th they were people I knew because I would see them all the time. Okay, right. Um, yeah. Or they would see me driving around, and this is you know Commercial Avenue, in New Brunswick, in you know the mid eighties. So yeah. They would, uh, yeah. I mean, I think they liked it a little bit. I mean, it was probably different. I wasn't aggressive. I was pleasant. Right. It's probably, you're, they're probably happy that someone was being nice to them. Well, you could always tell when you drove back to where you got them. If they just jumped out, okay, they just wanted the ride back. Right. And then there was times they would just sit in the car. They're great. Hey, drive around the block. We'll smoke. And, you know, right. sometimes they would ask you to do that. So they could have a cigarette and a conversation. Yeah, man. It's got to be so weird to find yourself. You're, you're a hooker. Yeah, you, I look back on it now, and it's like, I do think it should be legal. I don't think people should tell other people they don't have the right to do it. But I look back, and I'm like, how many people, were they in situations that I didn't know of? Like, were there people being forced to do shit that I didn't know were being right. forced to do shit? And that's right. kind of something that's been a little... Fucking with you. Yeah, it's been fucking with me a little bit. Well, you remember, they tried to pin that on Robert Kraft, the guy who owns the Patriots, yep. who went to a massage parlor to get jerked off. Yeah. And they were, they were saying, they were charging him with participating in sex trafficking. It was a, just a completely fabricated right. uh, accusation because the women that were there, it turns out, no, they're just regular women that massage guys and then jerk them off afterwards. Yeah. But they put that out there. 
So it was out there no matter what. Like it, it had hit the press. It had hit this guy. And so he had to sort of like deal with this, even though he's like this fucking guy who's worth billions Billion. of dollars, which is thousands of millions, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Just think of owning thousands of millions of dollars. Still couldn't keep the shame of getting jerked off. You know, and it's like a 69, 70-year-old man or something like that. They're coming back at him with something else now, too. For the same case? Yeah, there's something else that just it just got talked about again. Um, I don't know exactly what the prosecutor's throwing at him, but sometimes a prosecutor, I think, sees something that, hey, we can get a lot of mileage on this. Yeah. And uh, because nothing happened to Kraft the first time, I think they're coming back at him mm. with something updated. Well, I also think that this is what I've said this about law enforcement, too. When you play a game and here's the game i arrest you i want to convict you here's the game you try to get out of it i don't yeah. want you to get out of it now we're in competition it's a game yeah it's not a game obviously it's the law and obviously you know the, you, people should be arrested don't yeah. misconstrue what i'm saying but whenever someone is trying to do something and the other person doesn't want you to do something people get competitive and people withhold evidence. They lie. I mean, there's been so many fucking cases of prosecutors yeah. withholding evidence that could have people released. Kenneth, Kenneth Niffong, yeah, in the Duke rape case, yeah. uh, wasn't was, he? Didn't get disbarred for that, or he did some shady shit. Well, there's a lot of those cases. It's not just him. I mean, how many different uh, detectives have withheld evidence? Or prosecuting yeah. attorneys have withheld evidence. It's like, you know, you know who's fucking amazing at helping people with this shit is Kim Kardashian. Yes, she is. Kim Kardashian has gotten some fuck. I think it was like the latest count was like 18 people yeah. released who were unjustly accused of crimes. Yeah. Fucking insane, man. Yeah. Well, she kind of has, I mean, they, they, they kind of have like a direct line to the president. So they at least have some resource to go to if they need it. Yeah, uh, but she, but she, she doesn't amazing. have to do that. That lady's worth fucking hundreds of millions yeah. of dollars. She can do whatever the fuck she wants, but she's doing that with her spare time. It's, it's really incredible. I've completely stopped making fun of her. Yeah, I, I respect the fact that she did that too. It's like she could be doing a lot more stuff with her time and she's just, she's helping people. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I never really fucked with her that much. Paris Hilton had a bad interview with, so I didn't really care for her. What, you had a bad interview on uh, ONA? Yeah, they told us to be nice to her. Who told so, us to be nice? The publicist? The, yeah, we promised we wouldn't be confrontational. <laughs> so I remember I watched it recently. Opie filmed it. We weren't supposed to film it, but Opie had a camera going. And, uh, I was just getting really annoyed because she was being very distant. Like, uh, so what happened? So you go to this store, right? And she's like, you have to watch it. And I'm like, that's not a way to promote, to tell people you have to watch it. So oh, this just, is when she had a television show? Yeah. Sorry, I keep fucking with the mic. It's no a worries. terrible habit I have. Um, it's my OCD just getting it just right. Keep you know? moving, keep yeah, moving. It's, it's really it's irritating me that I'm doing it. Uh, but it just wasn't a good interview. Uh, she was. We wanted to be really cruel to her because I didn't think she was being nice. Right. Uh, I thought she was being not nice to us, but we had promised we wouldn't. So it just came off as awkward and weird. <sighs> I forgot that she had a TV show. She's she's one that sort of slipped into obscurity on purpose. It seems like it yeah, she's like a product she, line. She's making a fucking billion a year. Like she's making money doing her. Pro I, I think she's got like a whole bunch of stuff that she that's got her name on it. So right, but it seems like she's taking herself out of the public eye. I think yeah. for a lot of them, they realize like, hey, this isn't good for you. You know, the, the sting of all this scrutiny and people hating you. People fucking hated her, man. Yeah, they did. She represented this vapid, you know, sort of trend. I wanted to like her, too. 
I wanted to be, I did not want to dislike her for that reason. I'm like, it's too easy. Like, all these guys hate her. But then she came in, I'm like, eh, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Because it wasn't pleasant. I didn't hate her. I just yeah. it was like, ah, come on. That could have been better. I wonder, like, what's the matter, Jamie? So I was just looking. She's got a documentary coming out. Or it just came out. Oh, super important <laughs> yeah. to hear. Watch that documentary. <laughs> oh, you know what I heard is amazing? The Aaron Hernandez documentary. It's good. I heard it's incredible. Yeah, I saw it's three parts. Probably could have been two. Sometimes Netflix will do three when they could do two. But it was very good. Um, interesting to hear him talk about the sexuality and the whole... I was under the illusion, and it's funny because I, I talk about his hanging. I do a suicide hunk. I get this... Uh, I'm on Netflix now with this thing, The Degenerates, and part of it is I'm talking about suicide and hanging, and I reference his, and I get one other part of it wrong. Because I, th I thought he was in jail for killing... I didn't realize he didn't get convicted of killing those first two people he didn't no no what was he in jail for uh the one guy not oh. the other two i didn't realize he was acquitted of that so i got that part wrong so i'm, I'm so saying he killed he, three people that's what I, uh, that's what he was believed to but i believe it was only one person <sighs> and the two people he was uh acquitted for. i was shocked to realize that and i was like well fuck i already did the bit god damn yeah he really hung himself too. Like he really committed to it. They yeah. didn't go into the hanging as much. That was I wanted the details of that because the, I read the details about what he did to prevent himself from being saved. I'm like, I hope I got that right because I read that he put detergent on the floor so the guards wouldn't be able to get their footing. Mm -hmm. um, he put like cardboard in the fucking uh, in in the in the doors so they couldn't open it so it would jam. Mm. Like I heard he did all that, but the documentary didn't go into that. I kind of wish they had. Unless I'm wrong. Well, they said that he had extreme CTE. Yeah. Extreme. And uh, I think there are a lot of people out there like that. And there's a lot of people out there that are playing, played pro football, fighters, uh, anybody involved in like extreme contact sports that have extreme CTE. It scares the fuck out of me, man. You know, I fell skiing recently. Banged my head real bad. I was skiing, going around this corner, and this lady, uh, she seemed like she was new. She was, uh, like, on a slope trying to get her skis back under her, and she slid right into the trail, and I saw her, and I was like, fuck, and I tried to get away yeah. from her. And my, my leg went sideways, and I fell back, and bang, hit the back of my head off the ground. I, I have a crack in my shin bone. It's called an insufficiency fracture. It's, like, right where you're... Um, where your cart cartilage meets your shin bone, the bone that's like a crack in my bone. I mean, I, fit, I hit hard. Can you do anything or is it just heels? Just heels. It's actually fine. I mean, it, it was uh, probably a month or so ago, and it doesn't cause me any pain anymore. I knew something was wrong, and I got an MRI right. on it. But what I was really worried about was my head because I've been hit in the head so many fucking times, so yeah. many times. I don't know how many times I've been hit in the head, kicked in the head, punched in the head. You know, head butts, knees to the head, just so many times. And you wonder, like, what is, what's in there? You know, like when you see a guy like Aaron Hernandez, who is 28 years old, I think. Yeah. And they said he had the brain of like a fucking 80-year-old Alzheimer's patient. Like, his brain was fucked. Yeah, his decision-making. It hitch in the front, I think. Aaron Hernandez suffered from the most severe CTE ever found in a person his age. Yeah. See, I don't think I have CTE like that. So he was 27. I don't think I have it like that, but I have it. Do you There's, think you have it? 100%. Yeah. Does yeah. everybody get it, though? Does everybody who takes shots? Yeah, I think everybody gets it. You get a little bit of it. Don't uh, you worry about too traumatic brain injury when you fall like that, like what, what uh, Liam Neeson's wife died of? Yes. That's fucking scary for a fall. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, you know, once I was okay, you know, a few days later, I wasn't necessarily worried about that. But I, I definitely, I think I had a concussion because I was real dizzy afterwards, and I was, I was, it felt weird, like I felt off. And then uh, <laughs> I was with my daughter, my 11 year old, and we were getting on the uh, the fucking ski lift, and I spazzed. And uh, I, I got a little too far ahead, like when the ski lift comes. And then I, I tried to go back because I was in the wrong place. I, I moved to, you know, like I should have waited for the next one to come. And then I, I didn't. And then I fell down. And then I couldn't get back up. because so I was just, I was dizzy. I was like a little bit yeah. out of it. And my daughter didn't know that I fell down, you know. And then I'm like, I'm, I'm a little out of it. I hit my head. And she's like, when did you hit your head? You didn't hit your head. And I'm like, not now. I'm like, just, I just then had hit my head. So like the whole rest of the day, I was like, not talking that good i was like a little out of it yeah like i got rocked it was a bang like my head my legs went out and it was just back of the head on hard packed snow i got knocked out by a baseball when i was a kid i was so dumb i and I, my because my sinuses are so fucked up and a part of me thinks i've taken two baseballs like one really hard line drive to the middle of my face like i mm. was uh underhand pitching to my friend rob probably from here to your tv and he drilled the line drive into my fucking face. And uh, I, wo I woke up and I was on the ground and he was standing over me panic stricken that I was dead. Uh, and then there was another time where I was a fly ball and I, I just misjudged it and it split my head open. And I Did remember, you get your nose checked? Uh, yeah, I've got surgery. I got to go back for surgery. I'm going Monday to actually see somebody. I'm a fucking a kid. Have you had the surgery before? Yeah, it didn't do much. It was, I, I don't know Deviated if I- Deviated septum surgery? Yeah, but it's just not enough. Didn't I, work? <sighs> No. Plus, I take Cialis, so that might fuck me up with your turbinates opening right, and swelling a little bit. Yeah. I don't um, know. It um, changed my life. I had it done. I know. You're the one who got me on the whole mouth guard thing. Yeah. Was that I don't have the one you have with the, the one that pushes the tongue down. I have one that pushes your jaw forward. Does like, it work? It makes it possible to fall asleep, but it doesn't keep me asleep. You I'll, should get the tongue down one, man. Next time you're here, I'll bring you to that, that doctor's office that does those. Yeah, I really do need that, but I don't know if I can get used to that. You can. You I can. do. I sleep like a baby with it. I just shove that fucker in there. I've had one for years. And you don't need a mask? No. No, I don't need a mask. But yeah. I don't snore. I don't snore anymore. But if I take that fucker off, like if I go to sleep and I don't pay attention to me, my wife punches me. She's like, wake up. You're snoring. Oh. Like, she doesn't punch me, but you know. She wakes she wake, like, wake up. Wake up. You're lying. Because I'm like. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, I've lost a lot of weight recently. I wonder if uh, my snoring would be less. Because uh, I lost weight in my face, I lost weight in my neck, I lost weight everywhere. On purpose? Yeah, I went on this carnivore diet. I lost 12 pounds in a month, just eating only meat. Yeah. That doesn't scare you? Yeah. Why does I mean, it scare you? Meat always scares me because I've always heard that cancer loves meat. Mm. So that's always frightening. Cancer loves sugar. Yeah, that's what that's I tr whole 30 is what I I put weight on. I probably put 15 pounds on and I'm so angry at myself cuz I have to wear a suit and my pants don't fit. Like I Why really do you have to wear a suit. I'm just presenting something tomorrow and I I just What are you presenting? It's 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 a it's an award show but it's not televised. It's uh like an art director award or something. Mm -hmm. So they asked me to do it and I never right. get asked to do that shit. So I have to wear my suit. And I have to buy a new suit after this. Oh my, boy. I I've never I won't buy clothes. I'd just rather be uncomfortable. But I was such a fat twat. I looked at myself <laughs> yesterday. I'm like, you fucking pig. I, mean, I really had a meltdown last night. Oh, I no. forgot my pants. All I have is suit pants. I don't have regular jeans with me. Do you spiral? Like when you like you decide that you fucked up, do you start spiraling? Like hate spiral? It's crazy how I... I, I, I don't do it as badly anymore because I've caught myself. 
so many, but that takes me to a very dangerous place. Like it's taking me to a really bad place. So I like, I try not to do that because the next thing you know, you're walking around the house, fucking putting a belt around your neck, just kind of test, not tying oh. it, but just holding it and just seeing what it feels like to have a belt and that. Yeah. How many times have you done that? Uh, t- 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 literally hundreds. I mean, it's, it, and anyone. Please call me. I'm not do. I'm not gonna do. I'm, I'm, I'm not even. I, I would never. But, but call me. Yes, sir. I, I, I'm. Uh, I'm just saying. It's some things like anyone who's ever gone through with it and done that. Yeah. Like, like you know, Robin and fucking Bourdain. I would love to sit with those guys. Yeah. And just, like, I guarantee that was the 508th time you did that. Not necessarily tried it, but that put it there. Mm, guarantee you, a hundred percent. 100%. If you've talked to other people that have the same sort of thing. That no, they, I just know the process. I just know the process. <laughs> like, you can't just one day tie. You you feel it. You give yourself a shot. You see what that feels like. You hate oh. yourself like you fucking piece. And then you let it go. And then you mm. take it off and you don't tie it to anything. I would, I would, I would guess. Well, a guy like Bourdain, man, that, that one was such a bummer to me. That was the, that was the biggest bummer. I mean, Brody was a giant bummer, too. Forgot about Brody, yeah. Jesus. That was a huge bummer. Did you see it coming? No. I didn't know him well enough. No, I knew he had bouts where he wasn't doing well. Everybody loved him, though, yep. man. Everybody. You'd see him. He's just... I, I, I never didn't hug that guy. Every time I saw him, I hugged him. He was such a good guy. Everybody loved him. Like, nobody didn't like Brody. Except Brody. Yeah. You know? Well, he was sick. You know, like, he's he had all kinds of different medications that they had tried on him and all sorts of different issues but he would go off the reservation sometime oh that's a exp- that's a bad expression right that's like someone, said, someone saying that was a, a racist who said that what, oh it was uh, daryl yeah it's a racist expression apparently um he would go haywire and you would didn't know what was going on but like he'd be on stage yelling but it wasn't funny like he, you know, Brody was hilarious, yeah. and his style of comedy was so uniquely him. Like, if you if you wrote it down on paper, you wouldn't understand why it was funny. Yeah. But then when you saw him in real life, you'd be fucking crying, yeah. laughing. He was so funny. But then I'd see him sometimes, and he would be, there was no funny. It was just him complaining about stuff. I'm like, when is this gonna turn silly? Because usually it turns silly, but it didn't turn silly. And then people were like, oh, Brody's off his medication. Oh. So yeah, you wonder how many times did he dry run it? Did he dry run it? Because Mm. you can't be that, again, maybe there's exceptions to the rule, but you cannot be a depressed person and dealing with that all the time and not have dry run it. Mm. Uh, I mean, I don't think anybody ever puts a gun in their mouth and shoots themselves the first time. I'm sure it's something you've walked through a bunch of times and just couldn't make yourself do it. God damn. Yes, yeah, it's, the, it's the, the time you kill yourself is the time you can finally just not stop yourself from doing it. But I guarantee you he had gone through that a bunch. I just know too many people. Too many people that have done that now. I think I know... I mean, it might be seven or eight comics that have killed themselves yeah. in the time. I mean, the guys that never made it, too, most of them were not as known as Brody or mm-hmm. Richard Jenny or Robin Williams. You know, they, a lot of them were guys that just didn't ever get above into I never really knew Jenny. You know, I'd said hi to him. You never told me he died. With him. Yeah. You called me when I was in Pittsburgh. I was in the green room and you called me. He was a giant influence on me when I was starting. He was so good. I talk about him too much to the point where people get annoyed, but I just want people to yeah. know. 
In the 80s, that guy was the fucking man. Like, you don't know how good he was. When I was an open micer in 1988, I went to see him at Catch a Rising Star in New York. And I was like, this guy is fucking brilliant. Yeah. He was fucking brilliant. But, you know, I forget who was talking about the other day. I don't even know if it was on here. But they were saying that he liked two things. That was it. And he would tell you. He, he's, he likes comedy and porn. That's it. That's all, he, that's all he cared about. And like literally like didn't really socialize, you know, maybe had a girlfriend or didn't have a girl, you know, on and off. But comedy and porn. Didn't have any hobbies. Didn't, you know, yeah. always wanted to be like Seinfeld. Always wanted to have the sitcom or be Jim Carrey. Yeah. Have the movies. But it never really happened. He was such a great comic. I, I think the last time I talked to him, he called me about, uh, and I didn't know him that well, but I knew him just from the, the business. And he was uh, unhappy because they had been attacking him like online about something, like bashing him, not saying he wasn't funny or whatever. It was just one of those things where a site trashes you. And he was really upset by it. Really? I'm like, you're so much bigger than this. Like, you're God. so. Like, he didn't almost understand how influential or powerful a comic he was. Right. That that would bother him. It's like, come on. That's why I wish he survived to podcasting. I wish he survived yeah. to, to realize like how much we other comics appreciated him. Yeah, I tell this story, but I'll tell it again. Eastside Comedy Club in uh, Long Island in like the late '80s, early '90s. He did Friday and Saturday, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, four different hours. Murdered. Yeah. They said that everyone was standing around afterwards, like he just did four different hours like we we should fucking quit yeah we should we were we're here pawning off the same shitty 40 minutes you know just trying to pretend that we're a headliner and this guy just murked four different hours it's weird too that club i never did that club here's my experience richie minervini booked me at that club and then i get there and there's a lock on the door like the only time i was there i fucking showed up was like the weekend and fucking shit, fucking shut down his bro richie's brother was a, a mixed martial arts commentator he was a sports guy he did uh, World Combat Championships, I think it was called. It was like, uh, he was like one of the, the he was the play-by-play -play guy, or the color, yeah, he was the play-by-play -play guy, and it was like the early days of fighting when the UFC had just started, and Henzo Gracie fought Oleg Taktarov, and Richie's brother was uh, the the play-by-play -play commentator. Really? Yeah, like he did the John Anik, Mike Goldberg role. Yeah. I remember thinking, this is so crazy. Because I, um, I don't think at the time I had even done any work for the UFC. I think at the time I was just a fan, and I was just. What year did you start with them? Ninety-seven. Oh, okay. Well, Twenty years. Twenty-three years. years. Isn't that nuts? I started at UFC twelve in Dothan, Alabama. How was your first broadcast? Um, I. <laughs> they didn't give me any instruction. Nobody told me what to do. Nobody told me how to do it. Nobody told me shit. They just said, do you want a gig interviewing the fighters after the fights? I was like, sure. You know, like, and then it was so rinky dink. Like yeah. we were in this weird little fucking hotel um, and this weird, and you know, that's where we were staying. We flew in there on a propeller plane. The gig was supposed to be in Buffalo, New York, but New York State banned it at the last right. minute. So Bob Meyerowitz, who was the owner of the company, and uh, Campbell McLaren, who was the guy who hired me, they told me, you're going down to Alabama instead. Like, what? So I, I flew into one part of Alabama and then took a puddle jumper <laughs> and landed in Dothan. And that was like the place where they were allowed to, to do the show there. And it was this little auditorium. It wasn't very big at all. And uh, the first show I ever worked at, Mark the Hammer Coleman beat 
Dan Severn for the UFC heavyweight title, UFC 12. Vitor Belfort made his debut. And I was wow. actually training at Vitor's school. I was a white belt. Uh, Carlson Gracie's in 97. And uh, that's where uh, – v- and I had been there since 96. I, I started training there in 96. And then in 97, Vitor was uh, making his UFC debut. And just by sheer luck, I happened to be at the actual gym with Carlos Bajetto and Mario Sperry and all these, like, just assassins back then. And um, I got to be the post-fight interview guy. Yeah. It was nuts, man. That's me. Look at yeah. That. Look oh, sweet. yeah. I saw, I Look at my this. earring. Ooh, so cute. Little cutie pie. Yeah, so that was uh, way, way back in the Dizay, man. 1997. Rodrigo Medeiros. There's Vitor. When you think of 97, you're like, fuck, I was doing comedy seven years by that point. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a long time ago, and I was already in the business. Yeah, I was nine years in at that point in comedy, because I started in 88, yeah. And uh, I didn't book gigs along. I actually had to quit, because it was costing me money. Because, like, if I would go to do a UFC, I don't remember how much I made. It wasn't that much to do uh, the interview stuff. But then if I could do a comedy gig, I could make like two grand for a weekend. Right. So I was like, why am I doing that when I can make two grand? Like, what am I doing? I'm making like one instead of two. So it was just costing me money. Plus anything that, got, anything that got in the way of comedy was yeah. difficult too. It was, but for me, my life started with martial arts. I mean, that was also, you know, I started in 88 and the last time I fought was 89. So that was probably, you know, Somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, you know, eight years since my like serious competition days. So I still loved it. I was still into it. And I was loving that this new thing was around. So I was happy to be there. Even though it wasn't like, it wasn't affecting my career in a good way. In fact, the people that were, I was on news radio at the time. And the people that were the producers were like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? Like, why would, why would, they, they treated me like I was going off to do like porn. Right. What is this fucking violent thing you're talking about and being a part of and putting your face on? But yeah, and I was like an expert. Like I was the the expert interviewer asking people questions and doing things like, you're attaching yourself to cage fighting? (laughs) The fuck is wrong with you? But I loved it, man. I loved it. I was so excited to see this happen because we had always wondered. When when I started doing martial arts, you know, I started in karate. I did like a little bit of kung fu, then I did karate. The Kung Fu was like one lesson and then a little bit of karate, but then I got balls deep into Taekwondo But we always every, everybody always wanted to know what was the best martial art and I switched from Taekwondo And I started doing kickboxing and boxing because I realized like my hands were terrible And then I'm like man, maybe I thought it was good because I was good at Taekwondo But this boxing stuff is more important to learn. I need to learn that and then I started doing jujitsu and getting strangled I'm like fuck. I don't know anything and I remember thinking when the UFC came along, finally, we're going to figure out what works. Finally, we're going to know what works. You know, and now look at you. You work for the UFC now. Yeah. How crazy is that? It's, it's <laughs> fucking crazy. Because I love it so much. And I love just, I'm a fan. So I just, I love the fact that I just get to talk to the fighters and hang with Matt. Like, it's a really. I love Matt. I love Matt too. Matt Sarah is a fucking gem of a human being. He's 100% genuine. Yes. yes. He's exactly the same on the air. Yes. As off the, he's the yeah. same guy. He's, he's beautiful. He really I is. Him. I love Matt's him. an amazing guy. And uh, yeah, being a part of it is just, in, even in the way i am which is a peripheral way i just i don't fight i don't train um which i'm have so, you thought about training a lot caitlin chukagan keeps telling me like i'm gonna go to your first class i want really? you to come to henzo's yes she's been telling me for two years but i get so claustrophobic and tired from not sleeping but whatever I, people the ufc unfiltered fans want to smash me for yapping about it i, I want to take it 
Um, you just got to do it. I know if you're tired from lack of sleep and everything like that, but just do it. And you should go to this doctor and get a, a real mouth because you can't sleep with a CPAP, right? It bothers you. I need I need a I need a mouthpiece, but I also I, I can't do a CPAP anyway. I need uh, ASV, um, which is both types of apnea it covers. But yeah, I want to either go to Henzo's or uh, Henzo's is great. Just go. I think Jimmy Rivera has a place around there too. Does he? Um, I believe so. Yeah. Tiger Shulman's one of his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not far Shulman's from where school. I live, and he's invited just me to go. that. Just go. Just go. Just go. Just go. I know. Do I just it. have just to make do yourself it. do it. Yeah, it's fun. You'd I'll love suck it. at it. It'll be okay. Of course, everybody sucks at it in the beginning. I sucked at it. I can clearly remember being just tortured, raped by this dude. Oh my god, this guy just destroyed me. Do you get used to the sweat on you? Like I think that would yep. always bother me. You do, right? Yeah, get used to it. Get used to anything. It's good for you. Not the sweat, but the physical contact. It actually, there's a camaraderie with jiu-jitsu that is like very different than any other martial art. It's, you're, you're trying to kill each other, but you're also looking after each other, you know? Like the guys who you really care about, like 10th Planet guys or John Jocks guys when I train with them, nobody hurt you. If you got hurt, it was by accident. Yeah. Guys were, you know, you're trying to kill each other, but you knew that if they got you in an arm bar, that they were not going to try to break your arm. They were, they were going to hold it and, and, you know, give you an opportunity to try to get out of it if you could or tap. And no one was going to, like, just fucking yank it. No one ever does that. No one. It's there. And you appreciate that. It's like a good feeling that you know that if this guy does get you in something and you tap, they immediately let go. They stop. Yeah. And then you slap hands and you go, damn, you got me, you motherfucker. And you laugh. And then you go back and do it again. Because I'm fascinated by Like, I want to do it. And I honestly, my own laziness is one reason I just haven't, but because uh, Matt loves, uh, Matt loves talking about choking. Like Matt loves the idea of strangling somebody with their own coat, which is always, he's like, oh, winter coat, that's a gift. You know? Just <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is. I mean, I always said like, if you were fighting in a street against a judo player and you had a winter coat on, oh my God, you're so fucked. Yeah. Cause they're just going to fucking grab you and use the world on you. Cause literally slam your head into the world. Just, especially New York city, like the streets just fucking shit. Boom! Oh, the worst. You should be naked and greasy. Yeah. If you ever think about getting in a fight with somebody, I would have to train with clothes with a gi. I think if I ever do it, just because like, like I'm gonna be on the subway, no one's gonna be shirtless. I'm gonna if I ever have to fucking defend myself, they're gonna probably have clothes on. So yeah, but you'd learn how to use the clothes. I'd do both. You'd learn how to use gi, no gi. You'd learn how to do both. It's no big deal. If someone has clothes on. It's not like you don't know what to grab because they have clothes on. It's it's simple. And they're all nice. I'm not. I'm not worried about. It. I'm not afraid of it. Like, cause I know I like the people so much who I've met involved with. I've never met anybody involved in who I didn't like. Yeah, they're nice people, right? All of them are nice people. None of them are dicks. None of them give that energy off. Like, they all know they could strangle me. Like, there's nobody's. Nobody makes you feel that way. Well, that's why a guy like Matt Sarah is such a good guy because he's got such a good character. You know, and then you, you kind of notice that from a lot of fighters, right? They have great character, and one of the yeah. reasons why they have great character is they're they don't have a, a, a problem with their ego. They're controlled. They understand yeah. who they are. They feel good. Yeah, you know? I'm never uncomfortable around any of them. Yeah. Like, never for that reason, at least. Uh, no matter who they are or what position they're in, they're all kind of the same. Uh, none, of them, none of them come off like with that alpha energy that other athletes give you. I remember on ONA, you'd have everybody choke you. I used to do that, yeah. <laughs> BJ was the first guy. Uh, he was coming off a loss, and I, I wanted to see what it felt like. Like, I knew it wouldn't be the same, 
but I had seen arm bars and I wanted to know how, what does it feel like when somebody grabs your arm that way? Yeah. So he did it. They, they were all pretty gentle. Um, Fedor put me in a fucking good one. Did he, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His hurt. And I was like, <laughs> oh, and he laughed and he did it again. He was, but uh, to feel those things, you like, it gives you such a respect for the fact that there's guys that are doing this for real. Oh, yeah. Like, this is a guy just showing mm -hmm. some fucking idiot on the radio. Didn't John Jones like gently leg kick you too? No. John Jones fucking put a, a hard leg kick because it was like, he was like weight cut wheat. Uh, we, so he might not have been the best of fucking moods. Uh, he put me, he shin kicked me. Across the leg, it hurts so bad. I know, but I'm 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 being honest. I think he did it lightly. I'm sure he did. Let me see. Let me I, see. Here it is. Look at my look at my hands up. Put your dukes up. That's light. It what compared to what he could have done. That's light. But I'm I almost you. threw up. Look at him. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> I almost vomited. I had to go to the bathroom because I thought I was going to faint. Okay, but I'm telling you right now, that wasn't even 50%. Oh, no. Not even close. That was that probably wasn't even 30%. All that was was like the weight of his leg. Yeah, no, he could have really fucking leveled me. Oh, my God. Kane has choked me. I've had a few guys do things. Uh, Who hurt you the most? John. John that right kick. There? I had to wear a leg brace. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. For how long? It was it, my knee had been fucked up, so I, I probably put one on for three months after that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the face that you would get, ready go to <laughs> yeah. There's a whole oh, what is Fedor got you in an arm lock? Oh, who's got you in a heel hook? It was Brock. Oh, Brock Lesnar, no! You let Brock Lesnar touch your knees? Yeah. Oh, it's so terrible. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah, God. they all Rashad punched you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a whole fucking <laughs> series of people beating on you. But it was never a oh, test. Dude. It, it was never like. It was never like, hey, let's see how the hurt. It was. Oh, John punched you too? <laughs> you oh, let yeah. him punch you and, and he choked you? me. And he choked me. Oh, it was a different outfit. Good. That's oh, a different day. Different time. Oh, Uriah punched you in the arm yeah. too? <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole video series of you getting beat up by UFC fighters. This yeah. is so horrible. Brock's dude. was. Were, uh, oh, yeah. Who Shamrock. got in that? Yeah. Was that Frank or Ken? Uh, Frank. Oh, Anderson kicked you? Yeah, not hard, though. E. Anderson's a nice guy. He wouldn't kick me that hard. That's good for him, man. I'm glad. You, you were going to have him kick you in the arm? Yeah. That's, oh, you could break your arm easy, man. Yeah, I didn't want, but I, I always trust these guys. Like, I know that none of them are going to do it so hard that they do anything to me that's going to damage me because they all know I'm not fighting. Right. Uh, but I all know that they could, uh, th I just trust them for some reason. I trust them to be gentle. I don't know why. Well, they are, they're nice people. Plus, they know it's the radio. Yeah. They're not trying to hurt you. John got you in a choke, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is so crazy, yeah. dude. All these people fuck you. Look, Fedor, yeah, Fedor wouldn't let go. He, he wouldn't, wouldn't let, go. let go. No, he enjoyed it. Oh, do you know Fedor just he got you again? Yeah. Look at this. <laughs> he ta tapped you like three times. Yeah. Look at Rashad's getting you in a triangle. Oh, my God. That is hilarious, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Ronda armbarred me. I, I had some really fun ones, man. I wish I had done more of these. Because it was really a bit done out of respect for what they do. Right, just to feel what it's like. To watch yeah. someone who's world-class and one of the best alive at doing that, and then all of a sudden to have them do it to you felt like, fuck, man, this is how good this guy is at this. How did you get the gig with the UFC? How'd that work? Uh, Dana had asked me one time, you know, we'd known each other a long time, and he, he'd say, one day we're going to work together. We're going to do something. I don't know what. And uh, I was like, all right, you know, and I would see him at events and whatever, and I just got a phone call one day. He's like, hey, man, we're doing a podcast with Matt Sarah. You want to do it? He fucking just called me and goes, here's the money. Do you want to do the podcast? It was a phone call from Dana <laughs> offering me the podcast. He didn't. Matt was already in place. And I said, yeah, I would love to. So we worked out a couple of things with my job where I was able to do something else with my name on it. And he just hired me. Wow. 
But cool. I'm not hired like, you know, I, I'm hired as a comedian who loves UFC. Like, Matt right. is the guy who can of course. play by play call, who can yeah. analyze jujitsu so beautifully. And, you know, that's not what I do. Yeah. No, but it's, it's interesting that the UFC even has a podcast, you know? Yeah. UFC Unfiltered. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was, I, it was, they could have just got two analysts to do it, but I think Danny just wanted a different tone to How it. How often do you guys do it? Once a week? Twice a week. Twice a week. I see Matt every Monday and Wednesday. Really? And you meet in the city at a studio or meet something? Meet in the city in a studio, and they, uh, we had a lot of fighters on, uh, usually they're not in studio. A lot of times they're Skyping in. That sucks. I prefer in studio. Oh, every every time. I don't like. I, I've only done a couple of skypes. Two actually. Snowden, what, Snowden, and John Anthony West, who is a, a, a one of my favorite guests ever. He's an Egyptologist who okay. has this, this incredible uh, understanding of uh, Egypt and the hieroglyphs, and he, he had this great DVD series called Magical Egypt. Um, just. He just passed recently. Amazing guy. But um, him, and just because he was sick and he couldn't. Couldn't right. make it in here, and then uh, Snowden obviously because you know, he's on the moon. Yeah, the fuck yeah, he yeah. Is. Wherever he is, he that can't was come. Weird. That was weird. It's weird to do. I don't like the Skype interviews. I prefer them to the phone though, because yeah. guys would call on their way to practice. Right. Like you know what I mean. We'd have cowboy on the phone. He'd be in the, just driving, going to do something, and you hear the wind, and you, you couldn't yeah. get anything done. Well, the weird thing about the Snowden ones too was it wasn't just that it was remote. It was also like what what we're talking about, like who he is and what what his situation is. That he's trapped and. Russia, allegedly. I mean, yeah. he might be in Cleveland. Who the fuck yeah. knows where he is? But that he's, you know, got this situation where he's never going to really be able to come back to the United States unless they, you know, work out some sort of a deal. And even then, he's not going to believe them. You know, I mean, I wouldn't believe them. I probably wouldn't either. Oh. Didn't he say no about UFOs, though? They, they, didn't you ask him yeah. when he said that he hadn't seen evidence? He hadn't seen evidence. But how much did he look into and how much was available to him? And, you know, where... where where is that kind of evidence? Sure. Like, if there is any of that stuff, I don't know. Maybe on a closed system too. I don't. I don't want to not believe in UFOs. I resist it. I resist it hard. I'm not rational about it, dude. I'm trying. I, I have to. Do I have time to? I gotta piss real mm -hmm. bad. I'm gonna go ahead. Piss my pants. Go ahead. Oh. It's been an uptick in UFO stuff recently. Yeah, I wonder why. I wonder what that is. Space Force. Um, you know what I think? Honestly, it is at this when the New York Times had that thing where they were talking about all the different rep reported ufo sightings that are reputable from people like D david fravor and you know these air force guys that are like otherwise rock solid individuals who talk about their experiences but my problem with it my legitimate problem with me as a human being is i want it to be real so when people don't think it's real like oh that's all bullshit i'm like no it's real like i'm not i'm not um objective I'm biased, like legitimately biased, and I know it. And I'm like, come on, man, why, why are you so biased about this? It's, it's a weird one. Like, I want it to be real so much. Like, talking to Bob Lazar, like, God, I hope he's telling the truth. God. Saw, <clears throat> I'm, I'm sure this was a theory because it's no way to be proven, but I saw someone online po like postulate that the uptick in alien stuff could be like us coming from the future. I've heard that, too. That the Not idea like is that what what the grays are, and this is something I've personally thought, I think independently, was that if you look at human beings and you look at, say, a gorilla, right? You look at a gorilla with this big, hairy, fucking animal thing, and then you slowly turn that into, you know, I guess we didn't really come from gorillas, we came from chimps, but chimps... You know, monkeys, lower hominids, Australopithecus, you know, and then, you know, ancient man, right? And then 
all these different versions of what we are until we become right now homo sapien 2020 well what are we what how do we look different well unless you're someone who works out a lot you're losing a lot of your musculature you're not as dense you, you're not as hairy you know when you see like um that fucking killer wrestler from russia remember when we uh showed videos of that dude god damn it i'm trying to remember his name rustam yeah rustam uh fuck is it hold on chiev rustam chiev he's uh this fucking tank of a man that's covered in hair but he looks like someone from the past you know and when he's throwing people around with this fucking giant hairy back and hair all over his chest and arms you always think this is that guy but that that almost he almost looks like a normal human there but there's some some videos of him when he's grappling i mean I pick, like that one right there where he's got the double flex the red one right above that yeah like look how hairy that motherfucker is that guy's that's from another time yeah that is from another time i mean that guy you could comb his chest hair my we were talking about aliens and i was saying if you look at people like that like real hairy fucking testosterone filled savages like this guy was like a, an elite wrestler he's a killer grappler um and then you look at aliens. Well, if you look at chimps to that guy, to aliens, what's happening? Well, what's happening is we're getting less hairy and we're getting smaller and weaker, right? We're getting more and more like what an alien looks like. And aliens have no genitals. They have no mouths. They're just this smooth, skinny thing with this big head and these big weird eyes. Like when we get rid of the need if we evolve past the need for physical strength if we evolve past the need for you know sex if sex is like the no we don't reproduce any longer through just normal biological male female sex if they've you know who who knows a million years from now a hundred thousand years from now we might decide that one of the biggest problems that faces human beings on earth is our emotions our, our desire for sex, biology, all of our animal instincts that we still hold on to. And we could evolve past those, just like we're so much different than chimps are. We're so much different than we used to be when we were lower hominids. Right. We've evolved. We've evolved to the point where we're communicating with words, we're using phones, we fly in planes, we have technology, but also our bodies are softer and our bodies are, are less, they're, they're less, they're, they're not as strong, they're not as animalistic and explosive. And if it continues along that path, especially aided by technology when we don't have any need, especially if we have these big-ass giant brains and we can t t use te telepathy to communicate, we can communicate through some other way, maybe even electronically enhanced, maybe you know something in their brain. But when you look at an alien with the big head and the little tiny body, that's what a person is probably going to become. Our heads are way bigger. Our brains are bigger than other hominids and other, other primates. Our bodies are softer and weaker. And if you just keep going with that, that's what happens. The head But do they have no big. genitals, though? That's been like, or is it something that, they, the, at least the photo, or whatever people say they are, are they just wearing something that hides their genitals? Like, could I, be. like I don't know if they have no genitals. I mean, that's, I'm like pushing it, hard for it. Also, it could be no genitals, but it also could be those aren't even uh, biological things anymore. It could be that human beings become some sort of cybernetic, some sort of cyborg. Look, if you think about body parts, right? Like, if we start replacing body parts, like I met a gentleman the other day. I did this um, benefit. Pull up the guy. What is, what is the guy's name? The Australian gentleman who was a uh, soldier who lost both his arm and his leg in a shark attack. I did a benefit the other day with him. 
for the Australian wildfire. He's got a carbon fiber arm and a carbon fiber leg. It's crazy. Shakes your hand, like grips it with his carbon fiber hand. And, you know, right now you can tell the difference between his carbon fiber hand, this electronic right. hand, and his other hand. But maybe a hundred years from now you won't be able right. to. And maybe in the future it's better to have one of these artificial bodies than it is to have a biological body that can break and get all fucked up and you feel pain. We're replacing things all the time. We're, we're replacing body parts all the time with operations and we use organic substitutes. Paul DeGelder. Yes, that's the man. Oh. Shout out to Paul. Um, yeah, we, uh, we did this Australian uh, benefit with uh, Jim Jeffries and um, Monty Franklin and Whitney Cummings the other night for the Australian uh, wildfire, uh, for wildlife yeah. relief. They lost a billion animals in that fire. Yeah, I heard. A billion. Jesus. It's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, in the future, maybe they'll get to the point where they'll have limbs that are better than the limbs we have. Like, what are you doing with these biological limbs? Jimmy, upgrade. Yeah. Get yourself a fucking alien body. You know? I want to believe, dude. I, you know, I, I saw the Lazar documentary. You had him in. I yeah. enjoyed it. I didn't see the whole interview, but what I saw, I liked a lot. I just, I, I, there's always that one place with conspiracy that I, there's always a gap I cannot cross. Of course. And for me, it's the degrees. I just can't get beyond the degrees being gone. The two degrees. schools. I can't get beyond it. And I want to. I want to. I would much rather believe in UFOs than not believe in them. Well, he's clearly educated. And he, Smart guy, yeah. he says he worked for Los Alamos Labs and they sent him to MIT to work on top secret projects. There's clear evidence that he worked at Los Alamos Labs. Ashley, do me a favor. Go to uh, Jeremy. Go to Jeremy's. Um, uh, I think it's on his Instagram page. He has this thing. It might be on his Twitter. He has this thing where he uh, has George Knapp explain all the different things he went through to prove that Bob Lazar was legit. One of them being that he de definitely worked at Los Alamos. He was even in the employee registry, even though they said he didn't. Yeah, play that and give me some volume. The central question for me about Bob was, did he work at Los Alamos Lab? If he worked there on classified projects, it is plausible that he could work at Area 51 at Papoose Lake on other stuff. Did he work there? I can tell you flat out he did. 100% certain that he did. I found his name in the phone book. I found his name in an article in the Los Alamos newspaper. I talked to people who were there and finally Bob took me there. He took me into the lab, waved at the security guys. We brought a camera along. This guy was familiar. It was like a rabbit running through a burrow that he had traveled every day. And he's waving at security guys and walking into all these buildings. He knew his way around. He'd been there before. They knew him. They let him in. They let me in. I interviewed people he worked with. They said he was there. We proved it. And yet the paper trail ends at a certain point. We don't have any records. We can't find anything. They'd already told me they had the records. As soon as I think I'm getting close, they yank the rug out from under me. He took lie detector tests. He passed all of them. I know sure. that doesn't mean anything, but look, this is, we're talking about the 1980s. They could get away with a lot back then in terms of erasing your history. And um, his, his education is undeniable in terms of what he knows. He's a, he's a brilliant guy. When you talk to him, he's not faking anything. He's not like, he doesn't have any holes in his understanding in his knowledge, of physics. Yeah. Or, you know, I don't know if he's telling the truth, but again, I'm not, I'm not uh, objective. I'm biased. I want to believe. I want to believe as well. I can't get beyond the school things. That's that, my and to me that says 
he's not being truthful. Well, the MIT thing, I'll tell you this. He told me that they sent him from Los Alamos Labs to there to work on something, and I'll tell you what it is off air, but I told him I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk sure, about sure. it during the podcast because you're going to hear when I tell you, you're going to go, holy fuck, and it'll make a little more sense. It's, um, I don't know. You know, it's, again, I, I'm a fucking loser. I want it to be real. No, but it can be real. I, I, I just... But I mean, I want it to be, so I'm not looking at it. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not... You're very biased I'm and invested. you care about it. Yeah. I'm invested. I'm not, I mean, I'm not invested anymore. Like, even the, uh, the, the, uh, the three naval videos, I, I'm like, whenever a pilot sees something, that Tic Tac video, mm -hmm. but now that there's something that they're saying that's making me go, that might be man-made, because they're saying something about if we were to reveal this, it would compromise national security. No, no. If they could reveal all the files they have on these UFO incidents, it would compromise national security, first of all, because it'll compromise their... If, if they reveal how they know that something is blocking radar, that object, whatever it was, was actively jamming radar. I had Commander Fravor, the guy who right, filmed right. that thing, the guy who was there and who reported that thing. I had him here. He said that thing went from 60,000 feet down to 200 in less than a second there's nothing that we have that no, can do no, no. that he said that the thing moved so fast it made this this travel in this radar you know radar is a blip right it's like beep yeah. beep beep and between one blip to another it had moved in a preposterous speed you couldn't even track it it was it was moving so fast they don't know if it did it in less than a second or if it did it in one second but whatever it was the amount of distance that it traveled is impossible what ha did they have with the laws of physics as we understand them. could they see it uh, could they see it with the naked eye as well yes they, they could did. see it with the naked eye so they saw it video? under the water yes you could see the video you could see the thing on video you could see the thing on video move off you can see that it's actively jamming radar you could see that they're, they're trying to track it and, and stay with it, but it's moving too fast. See, there was something they said recently that made me think, oh, that might be man-made. And I forget, it was something to do with compromising national security. I, whatever the quote was, I was like, that sounds like something that that's well, man-made and they're worried they'll compromise well, here's, something that they've created. I know what you're saying, but here's the thing. Like, whatever it is, someone made it. Okay, if it's not man, then it's something from another planet. Maybe it is man-made. Maybe it is some project that the government has. But whatever it is, it's something that moves at a, an insane speed that we're not capable of right. understanding is in terms of what, what the average person who understands propulsion and engines and combustion, all those people. Well, pilots see, when pilots say stuff, I listen to it because they understand those things. I don't, like For me, I, I don't know how things are supposed to move, but they do. Yeah. So when they're confused by something, that's what got me interested was when the Times did the article on those. So I really started going, like I, I started, you know, watching and reading and I'm like I want to believe I just can't find anything that doesn't have a gap that I can't cross well you should talk to Fravor he's a fucking rock solid guy he's very it's very compelling when you talk to him in person because he doesn't want to have anything to do with publicity he's not interested at all he wanted to tell his story because he felt like they're not being honest about it yeah and that people really should know that there's some things that we don't understand and that these guys that are down in San Diego that were uh, at this Air Force base they were seeing these things like fairly recently, before his his experience, right. they had seen one like for uh, in the last couple of weeks, I think it was, and then they find them on the East Coast too. Same thing, and they move in the same way that Bob Lazar described these things that he worked on Area S four, the same way, where there's something called Element one fifteen 
that Bob Lazar described in the late 80s, yeah. early 90s. They didn't even know it was real until 2013. He was describing it long before it was ever proven to be an actual thing, long before they ever created it with a particle accelerator. You know what he reminded me? This was my, and again, I, I, I'm basing this only on opinion. I, I, I have no facts for this. When I listened to him, he, he, my first thought was, after these things that don't line up, oh, he took somebody's story. What he's saying is somehow true. But he's telling somebody else's story. And, you know, and that may be a total lie, but that's just what that's what my head told me was because he knows so much. And yet, how do they make your education disappear? Like, I not want hard, not hard in the 1980s. I he still knew, can't people see that it. went to school with him have talked about it. That's what I want to hear from people oh, yeah. who went to school with him. Well, he, they have records of people that went to school with him have talked about it. That's have, what I want. Also, hear. they have records of people that work with him at Los Alamos Labs that have talked about it. Have they so talked publicly? Because that's. What I haven't heard. They talked to George Knapp. I know that. You know, I want to hear who these people are. Not not in a quiz, but I want it to be true. Like I want people to go out and go. Yeah, he was in my fucking my class. I well, know. Well, even talked about it on the podcast where he went back and found these guys that he worked at the lab with. He worked at Los Alamos Lab for sure, and he worked right. on top secret nuclear projects. And he worked in propulsion. And that's one of the reasons why they sent him to this Area S four because he put a jet engine in a Honda. In the 1980s. And, you know, the guy's a fucking super genius. Very smart guy, yeah. And so when he did this, they were like, well, this guy has uh, a very intense understanding of combustion engines and propulsion and all these different things that he's creating. And so they're like, let's see if this guy can crack this crazy nut. And so they were just bringing scientists to try to get a different perspective on these crafts. And the one that he was working on, or one of them that he's working on, they said that they had found in an archaeological dig. That's where it gets really crazy. Like, they found this thing. What he was working on? They think what he read was that what the government was telling them when they were working there, when they were briefing him, was that human beings are the product of science projects, that human beings were created when many, many thousands of years ago, hundreds, whatever, millions of years ago, however long it was, aliens came down here and did experiments with lower hominids. They did experiments with primates and added their DNA and manipulated the DNA to create human beings. And it's one of the reasons why if you see, like the only thing that's like us is dogs in that dogs can all breed with each other. Like a a pit bull can breed with a poodle, but they don't look anything alike. Right? But they breed together perfectly. You would assume those are two different things, right? But they're not. They're the same thing. Well, that's the same with people. Like Shaquille O'Neal could fuck Bridget the Midget, right? They're the same thing. Yeah. Or, or a tiny little Asian girl. Like sure. a giant man and little, who doesn't look anything sure. like. We look so different. Some of us are red hairs. Some of us are Asian. Some of, you know, we, we vary so much. We're almost like dogs in that way. And we know that dogs are a product of manipulation. We have manipulated dogs and turned them into what they are through selective breeding and through all the, you know, the different methods that they use to try to uh, achieve you know, whatever a bulldog is or whatever a collie is. And that's why I hate fucking like uh, French bulldogs, by the way. Why? Because they can't breathe. Oh, yeah. Created, I feel that we've created this thing that yeah. you can put a stick in its mouth. It's I fucking know. vicious. It's sad. Well, even English bulldogs, those fat boys with those... <laughs> yeah. They, they was lying down. They can't breathe. Well, even my dog. You just... You met Marshall. He's... Uh, like, that used to be a wolf. Like, wolves 
are what all dogs come from. Oh. All dogs, even collies, even chihuahuas. The origin of all those animals is a wolf. So we took a wolf and we slowly turned it in to whatever a sheepdog is. We slowly turned it in to whatever a fucking Shibu Inu is. All these different dog species. They're all, they all emanate from wolves. We didn't even know that until just a few decades ago when they started doing um, DNA scans of, of dogs. They thought they were going to find all these wild canids and all these different things that are the origin of dogs, the root of dogs. But no, it's not. It's all wolves. Everything came from a wolf. I have a Bob Lazar question. And it's not that I, I, cause I don't know enough about it to convince you other, otherwise, but I just don't. But I'm kind of hoping you can convince me. Mm-hmm. If they made the school records disappear, right. why do they leave the records that we just saw from that place. They didn't know they were there. That, that's somebody had a copy of the the um, the registry for that that place. Somebody who worked there during the same time he did had a copy of the registry. Dude, they they didn't just eliminate his. They eliminated his social security number. They eliminated a lot of shit. Dude, in the 1980s, they can make you effectively disappear. Yeah, I'm sure they can. I mean, in the, the 80s, the paper trails were a little bit different. Yeah, but it just. I, I, I can't get beyond the two degrees. And I, again, I want, I want to, I'm sure I've heard him interviewed. He's a very compelling guy. Listen, not, not to harp on it. I just, the it's, two, it's, do, it's, the it's, two it's, degrees are not hard. That's not hard to get past. That's not hard to, to eliminate. What's hard is understanding all the things he understands when it comes to science without an education, the way he talks about it. Have you ever seen the videos where he's describing it in the late eighties? Yeah. It's exactly the same as he describes it now. Exactly the same. No variation whatsoever. Well, that's kind of why- If you tell a story 40 years ago, and then I ask you again today to tell me that same story, most bullshitters are going to have some holes in that story and change it. And doesn't mean he's telling the truth, but he's been insanely consistent. I would almost think, too, that a lot of times truth tellers have things change. That's why eyewitness testimony is so unreliable, because even a truth teller will make mistakes over time. yep. If it's a if it's a story that I've created, I think I'm less likely to forget details if I've created it because I have a beginning, middle, and end to it. Right, but it's very complicated. What he's saying, yeah, what he's saying is very complicated, and the descriptions of them, or descriptions of these crafts, and the way the propulsion system works, and the fact that it uses this incredibly dense element that doesn't even exist on Earth in you know 1989 or whatever it was, but now they've found actually is a real thing. Like that element 115, that was. That was, people were saying that's science fiction. You're making things up. But now that they have created it in particle accelerators, it's like, oh, okay, this is a real thing. Now, what if there's a planet that has a completely different atmosphere, completely different relationship with its star, and element 115 is common? Like, they find things in asteroids all the time right. that are very, very rare on Earth, but very common in space. It's one of the ways that they know whether or not we've been impacted. Like one of the ways that they know that the Yucatan was hit with this gigantic asteroid that killed the dinosaurs 65 million years ago is a layer of iridium at 65 million years. Iridium is very, very rare on Earth, but very common in space. And this layer of it, this dense layer at 65 million years ago shows that that's when it was hit, that this giant chunk of space rock slammed into the Earth and killed everything. Yeah. I know. Look, I like the fact you're skeptical. I'm very skeptical. I wish I was more. And I don't, I don't want to be because I really want to believe it because uh-huh. it also gives us a hope that we have some kind of a, a possible immortality somewhere. Believe me, I fucking like Ray Kurzweil as much as anybody does. He gives us all hope. Um, but I just, I keep getting to a sticking point. Every single time mm. there's something I can't get beyond 
um, when it comes to that conspiracy. I, I know what can't. you mean. I know what you mean. It's look, I, I thought it was all horseshit for a long time. I was, I was like, I was mocking it all for a long time. And then Jeremy Corbell's documentary really flipped a switch with me. I was like, God damn it, is this real? And then getting to know Jeremy and talking to him and then getting to know Bob, having dinner with Bob and then getting Bob to uh, come here and sit down. It was very hard to get him to come in. Yeah. Very hard. Very hard. He was super nervous. He was getting migraines. He didn't want the he didn't want the scrutiny. And then, meanwhile, while he's doing Jeremy's documentary, they fucking raid his business. They raid his business and go through all his stuff. The FBI did. They caught it all on video. They don't, it's all part. Like this is not just a regular guy. They're going through all of his 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 data. They're going through his uh, all of his emails. They they confiscated his computers. They didn't find anything. He's he's free and clear. But they were looking for Element One Fifteen. He thinks because he had some apparently, and they had done some test. And there's video of it with George Knapp, where they've got like they they've got fog. They're using like some sort of a fog machine and they're, they're showing how this gives off a certain uh, gives off a certain field that makes it almost impossible to grab and touch and this fog is rejected by this field and what they're saying about that element is and I'm gonna butcher this uh, I don't really understand the science but this this gravity intensifier this gravity multiplier whatever the fuck it is gravity projection thing with that 115, it distorts gravity. And that's how these things are able to move through these insane, um, through insane speeds. And the way he described it is that it's like <clears throat> if you had like a real cushy uh, mattress, a real soft mattress, and you put a massive bowling ball in the center of the mattress, everything would just go zoom mm -hmm. and bend around the bowling ball. Well, that's what element 115 with that craft and that propulsion system does to space time. It bends gravity. If it, it bends space time, goes it, through things. I don't know the answer to this. I always because well, I've heard of that. Doesn't everything else get fucked up? Like if you're know. bending space time, doesn't everything else just kind of come closer together? And, and I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Maybe it just does it with whatever's around it, and maybe we don't understand what you know how space. We know that gravity bends things. Right? It bends light. That's why you know when you're looking at the sun. You can actually see things. They can see things that are actually behind the sun because it wore the mm -hmm. massive gravity of the sun because it's so enormous. It actually manipulates light. It bends it. So you can see things that are actually behind it. I want to know. Like, you, I'm sure you had uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson on? A bunch of times. Yeah, he's fascinating yeah. and a skeptic. Mm -hmm. um, and he's an interesting skeptic because he may, I mean, he, sci he can base it in what he knows or believes scientifically. Right. But, you know, a guy Troy on our show went at it with him. You know, he, Who went on it? Troy. Oh. Who's Troy? He's our fucking, uh, he's a DJ and he's our fucking, like, uh, a guy who works our computers. Wait, wait, wait. Troy went at it with Neil deGrasse Tyson? Oh, yeah. About what? Because he thinks he's a full of shit government agent and uh, hiding oh, UFOs. no. Oh, it was great, though. It was, oh, it was a fun video. no. But Troy thinks that Neil is, a, is an agent. An uh, agent? Not an agent, but I mean, like, an agent as in, as in representing the point of view of oh, the government. The standard, is he one of those flat earth guys? What is no, he? not at all. What no, he, he just think? thinks that he thinks that there's uh, UFOs and there's a lot of things we're not being told. Mm. 
Um, but it was a great video. That, uh, but if they're not being told, do you think that they tell astronomers and astrophysicists? Do you think they tell guys like Neil deGrasse Tyson? Like, why would they pull him aside? Hey, hey, guy who works at the Hayden Planetarium, sure. we're gonna we're gonna give you secrets, and we de- definitely want to make sure you don't tell them to people on the Opie and Anthony show. Yeah, like, he what? Troy thinks that he uh, he knows. Really? Yeah. Come on. No, it's legit. Yeah, he really does. Okay. All right, Troy. But he's we're always going back and forth. Was it entertaining oh, for Neil, or did he get weird? Oh, he was okay with it. You know, uh, we had Neil on UFC Unfiltered, and him and Matt uh, wrestled. It was really funny, because Neil is such a a big dude, and people forget that like, he was a heavyweight wrestler. Where and did they wrestle? Was there mats? On the floor. Really? No, they, they were talking about some kind of a, a choke or something, or a submission. Mm-hmm. And uh, There's a video of they, it? Yeah, and I filmed it, <laughs> and I, I think he was trying to show Matt something. Yeah, he was a legit wrestler. He was. He was stacked when he was young. You ever see him? No. Dude, f- pull a picture of Neil deGrasse Tyson when he was in college. Dude, he was fucking jacked like like a UFC fighter. Yeah. He was built. Like Matt really put, well built. Matt did put him in something that he was unable to, I think. Of uh, course. Yeah. But Matt's I think Neil a world was a, champion. Neil wasn't sure if he could do it. I don't, I don't know if Neil was as familiar with Matt. Oh, good Lord. Look at him. Look how oh, jacked yeah. he is. Dude. Jesus. Come on, man. He's fucking jacked. Yep, giant Look at those guy. shoulders. This sweetheart of a guy. I really like him. I love Neil. Yeah, he's a he's a really uh, put that picture up there up in the left hand corner, right above that one. Fascinating. Jim, uh, yeah, look talker. at that. <laughs> look wow. how look at that stud. <laughs> it looks like the mod squad. <laughs> it does. Isn't that amazing? Him as a college student. Wow. I would never know that's him. I know. Look at the fucking sideburns. Yeah, that's sweet. Very seventies. Sweet. Don't you wish you could grow an afro? Fuck. I wish I could grow any real facial hair. It just doesn't look right. It looks wispy and shitty. It's getting gray now anyway, so I keep mm. it short. But eventually, it's all going to come off. Yeah, I, I keep mine short, my, my uh, beard hair. But when I grow it out, it's depressing. It's all white. Yeah, me too. I have like little... I mean, I, you could see this. I obviously bit, yeah. have some now. But like all around my sides, it's all white now. It's a sign of death. Do you care about it, though? Like, it bugs, it bugs me, man. Like, I'm like... I, I live with it. And again, it beats dying, but... I'm fucking a little like, God damn, man, you're 51 and it's not going to, you're not going backwards. It's not going backwards. I don't enjoy it. Like, this is great. I'm getting old. I don't. But perspective, I'm a extremely fortunate person. Extremely. Yeah. Like insanely, preposterously blessed and fortunate. I, I can't complain about shit. I'm a lucky, lucky person. Yeah. Yeah, you get to, I mean, I, people say, oh, you get to do what you love, but I think about the shit I complain about, and it's, it's yeah. luxury problems. They're problems yeah. because I'm doing the job I want to do. Yeah, first world problems. I have three awesome jobs, you know? I mean, my side job is the UFC. I'm the color commentator for the UFC. That's my side gig. I just do that for fun, you know? I can't wait for Nganu, uh Rosenstrike. Woo! I can't wait. My goodness! Can't wait for that fight. When is that scheduled for? What's the I want to say it's date? April. Tickets just went on sale. March 28th. March, March 28th. 28th. Okay. <gasps> oh my goodness, that's a terrifying fight. Rosenstrike, what he did to Alistair Overeem's face with that fucking leaping right hook. Yeah. When he split his fucking mouth yeah. open. That guy is a fucking tank. And what was more impressive than anything to me in that fight was not that he knocked him out with the last 10 seconds to go, but that he absorbed all the shots yeah. that Alistair hit him with. And he kept pressing forward, almost like he was invulnerable to him. I never saw anybody do that to Alistair. He was losing that fight, though. I, th- I think Alistair oh, was winning that oh, fight. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Alistair was winning that fight, for sure. Rosenstrike is a fucking tank, man. Yeah. He's a tank, and he's a legit 265, right? A natural 265, as is Nganu. 
So I think this is the first time Ngannou has ever fought a guy who is a real world-class kickboxer who is also his size naturally and is also a vicious knockout part puncher. I still think Ngannou hits harder. I, th yeah. I still think Ngannou's faster. But if I was um, in Rosenstrike's corner, what I would be concentrating on is leg kicks in particular because Junior Dos Santos, even though Ngannou starched him in the first round, mm -hmm. Ngannou starches almost everybody. Yeah. But and Junior was able to get off a lot of leg kicks early in the round and was able to at least affect him in some way. I was like, oh, okay, this could be an issue of a real good kickboxer. Now, we didn't see Rosenstrike use that sort of strategy against um, against Alistair. He was really looking to put hands on Alistair. He threw some kicks, but really, I think in, if, if he adjusts, with Ngannou and tries to move away from the big shots and chop the legs. He's a better kickboxer. He's got real experience with Muay Thai, you know, but he's also a ruthless knockout striker and he has a crazy chin. Rosenstrike has a crazy chin, man. Didn't you feel bad though for Overeem at the end of that? Like the fact it was almost like he kind of just jumped up and walked off like it was a walk off home run, and and the ref was like, "All right, like it." I, it no, was like, dude, his face was hanging off. Do you th so you think was, they should have stopped it? Yes, dude, his cut went like all the way up to his nose. Like if if Rosenstrike punched him more, it would have probably fallen off, and then they would have had to stitch up, take a patch off the canvas, and wash it off, and glue it back, glue to, it his back to his face. Dude, he was done. Like, go, just find that KO. Find uh, Rosenstrike, KOs, Alistair Overeem. The UFC does a thing that I really wish they wouldn't do. And uh, I don't understand the thought process behind it. And this thing is they don't show finishes online. You can't see the finishes. Like, you'll see a guy pulling off of the guy. Like, when they stop the fight, he's, he walks away right. like this. But they don't show the actual finish. What do you think that is? Ugh, poor thinking. I, I just, I don't, you, show it. It's exciting. People want to see it. It'll make more people watch it. Is that to get you to fight past your thing? Watch this. Watch this. Boom. Yeah. I mean, look. You can see it flop up. But watch him go down. Look at that. See that? Stop the fight. You, is, is, it, is that it at the end of it? Okay. I wanted it to play out more because you could see how he's basically helpless. I wonder if they do that to get people to go to Fight Pass. Like maybe if they if we show you part of it, it's like a, like an automatic promotion for Fight Pass. I get this to thinking. I can't can't tell. imagine that's true. I think Fight Fight Pass is awesome. They should you know just go to it if you're a fan. Yeah, I mean it's Fight Pass is great, and it's not just for Fight Pass. It's got you know Quintet, uh, Eddie Bravo's Combat Jiu Jitsu's on that. A bunch of different Muay Thai organizations on that. All the UFCs, Fight Pass is the shit. Okay, here it is. Look. There he's a little bit, uh, yeah, he's wobbly there. But by then, wouldn't that have this. been... Boom. How much time was left when that happened? Boom. See, he yeah, walked away. maybe. Yeah. He walked away. Yeah. Okay. If he had jumped on him and they stopped it, I would get it. But you could see, uh, he, uh, maybe he Dan up. touched yeah. him. Dan touched him. Watch right. Dan touch uh, uh, Roger Strikes. He touches him there. Yeah, he and, walked away and then he waved it off after Alistair walked. Yeah, you're right. No, you know, that's a good point. It's a real good point. I mean, still, maybe it's the, the cut was so nasty. It was so nasty, but... Away. Interesting. Mere seconds from the final bell. That's why it made me feel bad for Overy, because if he yep. went down to hit him and he stopped it, I would be like, he had to stop it. Right. But it, him walking away might have fucked him out of the show, show that one more time. One more time. Let me see that one more time. Watch this. He's moving away, hands down, gets caught. Boom. Gets dropped. Yeah. You know, you're right. Got right back up. No. Actually, it's a good point. Okay. Now I changed my mind. <laughs> 
I changed my mind. Yeah, that when I, felt- I saw it, I was just so stunned that he caught him in the last couple of seconds. I know. But it really does prove that boy, it's like you have to watch the fight until the end. It was an exciting way for a fight. Yeah. I mean, it was like uh, Rodriguez, uh, Korean zombie. It's like yes. when a fight ends like that, how do you ever watch a fight for, you know, you, you can't not watch till the end. That elbow was insane. That elbow was insane. The way yeah. he threw that, like a look away elbow and the Korean zombie just flat lines. You're like, holy shit. It wasn't Rodriguez losing that fight too, yes. if I remember. Yeah, he was. Yes. And then the Korean zombie just knocked out Frankie Edgar. He's an animal. Yeah, he is. Korean zombie's a tough motherfucker. He had to take two years off to uh, serve the South Korean army. Yeah, military, yeah. Military makes you, uh, it's mandatory. It's like Israel. You have to do mandatory uh, military time. You are, and, and your thing with, uh, have you talked to Stephen Avery, uh, Stephen A. Uh, Smith? Smith? Yeah. No. Uh, I, I like the way you handle that. You're a really honest dude. And you didn't get caught up in the fact that he liked you and he's a big name in sports. Uh, I, I love how you how you spoke about it. Listen, I, I'm I'm very good friends with Cowboy. I love that guy. Love him. He's awesome. He's not a quitter. He doesn't quit. He got smashed. He didn't quit. That's my only uh, uh, observation. And Stephen A. Smith, his thing is talking shit. He's a yeah. master at being this entertaining guy who talks shit about sports. And um, I don't think he's a bad guy. I just think that's where that's how he butters his bread. That's his thing. Right. That's how he talk. He talks shit. And but fighters, I feel like it's a different thing. It's not just a sport. It's a sport where you're literally risking your life. You know, knock on wood, we've been very lucky in the UFC. Yeah. We haven't had any loss of life, but it's a hundred percent possible, and it definitely has happened in other organizations, and it happens in boxing every year. Yeah. And if it happened in the UFC, it would be it would be horrendous. And if it happened at Cowboy, if Cowboy died in the hospital that night. And believe me, that's possible. Cowboy had a broken orbital bone and he had a broken nose. And he got beaten down by one of the biggest punchers in that division. And any in you know, I mean yeah. in the 155 pounds really, but the way Connor cracked him, like Connor like I don't I don't care who you are. He hits you like that, you're in real big trouble. He fractured Cowboy's face. If Cowboy died in the hospital, after Stephen A. Smith or someone else was was chastising him and mocking him and saying he quit. He folded, yeah. Imagine. Well, he didn't do well. He's got a point there. Cowboy did not perform well. And the reason why he didn't perform well is because Connor performed spectacularly. That's what fighting is all about. Jose Aldo, who was one of the greatest fighters that's ever done it, and at the time was the greatest featherweight of all time, Connor flatlined him in 14 seconds with one punch. That doesn't mean that Jose Aldo didn't show up or right. Jose Aldo quit. It means Connor has a fucking brick yeah. for a fist and he throws it perfect. He's got massive power, massive power and explosive speed. And he's a killer man. Connor McGregor, this motherfucker right here. He's a goddamn killer. You know, I like him more than I used to, too. I, I was never a Connor fan. I liked him more after I saw him lose and how he handled a loss. Yeah. And I just liked him. Like, I watched him talk, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of like I like him. And it seems like this fight with Cowboy, he went into it differently than he has publicly in the past. And maybe that's just because he likes him, and in the next fight with Habib, he'll be the same as he was. But I, I like him more now than I ever liked him. Yeah, he definitely handled himself in the public better. But I also think honestly that he probably didn't feel like he had to play games with cowboy that 
you know, he felt like cowboy style was tailor made for him. He felt like cowboy was stiff, and then he was going to be able to take him out and catch him and hurt him. And he did. He was right. He probably didn't feel like he needed to play psychological games. Yeah. When you're fighting a guy like Khabib, Khabib is such a destroyer. He's such a fucking destroyer. I mean, I have seen him take guys with like extensive wrestling backgrounds, guys like Abel Trujillo, just ragdoll him, just throw him around, man. Michael Johnson, throw him around. Just like you have no business in there with him. Yeah. Just beats the fuck out of people, mauls him. Rafael Dos Anjos, world champion, grabs him, throws him to the ground, helpless. You can't do shit. It's claustrophobic looking. Watching it, like I think if I remember the Michael Johnson fight, it, the, the, the wrist control mm -hmm. where he's just. He had his arm tied behind his oh. back and he's punched him in the face. Said, quit. Quit. Yeah. Quit. You know I deserve title shot. <laughs> Quit. You know yeah. my favorite one was talking about Conor McGregor, and he's like, send me a location. Send me a location. Where are you? Tell me. Send me a location. Like He's like, dude, I'm coming for you. He's a, he's a monster. There's only two guys in the sport that are world champions, destroyers at that level who are undefeated. One of them's John Jones. The other one's Khabib. Yeah. No one else is like that. Where they just smash everybody. John Jones has one bullshit loss where the re referee decided that the elbows right. were illegal. And the referee was doing his job, but it's nonsense. The, the, that fucking elbow rule is stupid. He smashed that guy. I wonder if that, in a way, too, that loss was years ago. I wonder if that, because so many guys become, are undefeated. And all of a sudden they lose one and then they lose a, a couple. You wonder sometimes if an early loss like that takes the pressure of being undefeated. Like, you know, you've never been beaten, but you still have that one L. Mm -hmm. So there's not that, that whole thing on your back. Like, I can't lose. I can't lose. I can't get that one well, L. John almost lost his last fight. I want to see that Santos rematch more than I want to see Jones fight anybody. That thinks I'm fucking crazy. That's the fight I want to see. I think if there was a Santos rematch, John Jones takes him down and beats the fuck out of him, if I had a guess. I think John Jones decided to try to stand up with him. And Brendan Schaub had an interesting take on it. He said John's playing with his food. He said he's bored. He just, he's just deciding to kickbox with these guys. But at the end of the day, after five rounds, there was a split decision. One judge scored it in favor of Tiago Santos. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree. I'm not saying I agree. I watched the fight again last week, and it's a great fight. I didn't score it, though. You know, I just enjoyed it. I think if you, if you really want to score that's why I don't score fights when I'm watching them, but sometimes you just know you don't have to score right. them. Like if there's a bunch of knockdowns or if someone beats the shit out of somebody, and you, it's clear, you know, but... I, that fight was not clear. There was like there was moments where Tiago Santos rocked John and and hurt him. When did know? he hurt him? Sign that first. I know the leg kicks in the first round were really. I, I thought they were being really effective. Mm -hmm. And then when did he hurt himself? Was it at the end of the first round or in the second round? I don't remember. I'd have to go back and watch it again. I think it was the second round. I think we isolated it on the camera, um, the truck, because I was saying something's going on. I'm, I'm noticing the way he's moving. I've had two ACL blowouts. So I'm particularly sensitive when I see somebody moving funny on their knees, you know, and uh, when I was seeing him do that I'm like something's going on and then the truck isolated a moment where you see his knee do this where the knee the bottom part of the knee pops forward That's almost always an ACL because it's there's an instability to it where it just gives out and uh, That was like the second round it turned out both he blew out both fucking knees But at the end of the fight both his knees were shot and he's still throwing bombs. Yeah haymakers and just looked like nothing was bothering him. I mean, he's in there with the best guy in the light heavyweight division, unquestionably, ever, 
and he got to a split decision on two blown out knees. That's why I want to see a rematch with him. I think he earned it. I think that was, uh, sure. considering how he hurt himself, I, that's the fight I want to see is the rematch between Santos and, and Jones. Although Jones may be heavyweight by the time he comes back. Yeah, he's going to be a long time. His, you know, his knees been, both knees are reconstructed. I mean, he was walking with crazy crutches with both knees, like in braces and shit. He's fucked. Yeah. And who knows if he's going to come back well, you know, when you blow your knees out like that, man, that's no guarantee because you're tearing the meniscus, so all the the soft tissue that separates the two knees, the two the t- two bones rather, all that's been chewed up. So they they had to do a meniscectomy or whatever the fuck they call it, meniscopy. What do they call that? It's a and it's how a old scope, is he? But what is the actual operation? Is he thirty five? Tiago? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think he's that old. He was a middleweight for a while, which is yeah, crazy. Yeah. What up? David Branch stopped him at middleweight. Guys, guys beat him at middleweight. I think he was just draining himself, cutting too much yeah. weight. But he's um, he's a fucking dangerous puncher, man. That's for sure, and a real good striker. For yeah, him. and he fought disciplined in that fight, which was interesting. He fought sneaky and disciplined. Yeah, the, has anybody done that to Jones's legs before? No, I, I can't remember seeing anybody leg kick him that effectively. No. Well, his leg kicks are. Devastating too. I, try, really I know. <laughs> yeah, and John has those little tiny calves too. His body's yeah. crazy. It's almost like a cartoon, right? Because he's got these big ass feet and this uh, big wide back, but right. these calves that are like my forearm. It's weird. Is that because he doesn't work them, or is it by somebody just won't genetics. build larger ones? Yeah, it's just just genetics. But listen, it's a fucking perfect combat sports yeah. body because he's so long and he's so strong. It's not like he's skinny and weak. He's thin and ridiculously strong. Like when he tucked Daniel Cormier down, everybody was like, holy fuck. He just took down one of the best wrestlers to ever compete in MMA. And he did it in the first round yeah. when both of them are fresh. You know, you're like, wow, John is strong. You could see it when he gets a hold of guys. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest light heavyweight of all time. And maybe yeah. maybe the greatest fighter of all time. You know, there's only the only guys that are close is to, in my mind it's Mighty Mouse is one of them, Fedor's another one. But I think um, John has had better competition. I think John's had the best competition. Yeah, he has fought everybody. Uh, yeah. I, and Cormier I know wants to fight uh Stipe, but I, I a third fight with those go I would love to see Cormier and Ganu. That's a fight that no I would way. love to see. It's never gonna happen, but I mean D- I would love DC to see. DC will that. never do it. I don't want to see that. I love DC. I don't want to see him fight that guy. I, I always thought DC would, uh, you know, because DC is so good at getting in. I, I always had a feeling he'd be able to take him down. Save it. <laughs> save all that shit. Save all that shit. That's the, to me, that, that is the scariest man in MMA, is Francis He Ngannou. is, yeah. The scariest. When he punched Alistair Overeem, and Alistair Overeem was literally, literally looking at the back of his heels, his head snapped yeah. back so far he could see his feet. It was yeah. terrifying. It was also what he just did to Junior... And to to Curtis Blades yeah. and to K- after Everybody. after two losses, Kane, yeah, it was like fuck. Yeah. he fixed whatever it was that he needed to fix. Yeah, well, you know those guys just couldn't stand with him. The question is like, what Stipe is that those guys aren't is first of all, Stipe is an excellent wrestler. He also is a world champion and the most accomplished world champion ever. He's the first guy to ever defend the title. I think defended it three times or four times. I think four, and the fifth one is what he four. lost. Four times. Yeah, he's. Stipe's the most accomplished heavyweight champion of all time, and now he's won the title for a second time. And the way he beat DC in the third fight, or the second fight, rather, with those left hooks to the body. Uh, God damn, those were nasty. Third or fourth round, right? And he, again, he was, I think, losing that fight. Just couldn't make it happen. And uh, DC was honest, though. He said that 
I like the idea of punching him in the face. Like he yeah. didn't want to just listen to his corner. He felt too good to punch. And he well, just he wanted knocked to knock him, him out. out in the first fight. Yeah. But I've speculated that one of the reasons why he knocked him out in the first round in the first fight was two things. One, it was a beautiful punch where he set it up while he was pummeling. And um, I don't think Stipe saw it coming. I think it was a perfectly placed punch. He hit him on the jaw perfectly. Yeah. And also, I think Stipe was probably still a little hurt from that Francis Ngannou fight because Francis Ngannou and him went to war for five rounds, and particularly in the first two rounds, Francis hit Stipe with some fucking bombs. Yeah. Stipe weathered the storm, but it might have made him more susceptible to being knocked out. Because of a couple of those shots yeah, he took. Yeah, man. When you get a fight where you get beat up like that, even if you win, he took some hard, hard, hard shots. That takes something out of your sales, man. And especially, you know, to fight him just a few months later, right after that big crazy fight with Ngano. Like, really, a guy like that, like Stipe, especially he's like 36, I think, at his age, you know, you have a war like that with Ngano, you should have one of those a year, maybe. Yeah. And then for like six months, you shouldn't do jack shit. You should go in cryo chambers and fucking hyperbaric chambers and get massages and let your body heal up. You, you were in a car accident. Yeah. You know, you got run over by a truck and you survived. What do you think of, uh, I'm looking forward to Adesanya. I kind of wanted to see uh, Paulo Costa get the fight, but I, I'm, the fact that he's doing it with Romero is still, I mean, it's still a great fight. I'm happy it's Yoel Romero for two reasons. One, because Paulo Costa, they can do in the future. Yeah. Paulo Costa is only like 29 years old. He's a young guy, He'll just like Adesanya. And two, stylistically, I want to see, I, I still want to see Paulo Costa. I mean, Paulo Costa is a monster, man. He's he's a monster. I'm really, I mean, especially after he beat Yoel like that. Really interested in seeing him um, fight Israel. But stylistically, I'm interested in Yoel Romero versus Israel because of the wrestling. Because Yoel's wrestling is crazy. He's one of the most powerful guys that's ever fought in that division. He's enormous for that division. And he's so fucking explosive. And he can take a crazy shot. I mean, if you look at the two of them together, yeah. I mean, um, Izzy is taller and longer, and Yoel is just fucking jacked. He's not even built like a real human. Yeah. His waist is this tiny thing. His muscles are fucking preposterous. When you see him, you're like, oh, that's a comic book guy. That's not a real person. He's a comic book person. He's 40 years old, 41 years old. I think he's 41. Still jacked. Super, super jacked. And I think, honestly, he should have already been the champion. I think he beat Robert Whittaker in the second fight. My feeling is that he hurt him more. He, he, he was more effective. And there was two rounds that easily could have been 10-8 rounds where he, he had Robert Whittaker fucking staggered. And if that was the case, he would have won the title. Did he – was it a split decision? I don't remember. I don't know. I don't remember. You, Google Yoel Romero versus Robert Whittaker. I don't know. I mean, split decisions are so crazy, right? Yeah. It's like, what if Tiago Santos is the UFC light heavyweight champion now? Because right. one judge says he should be. Two judges say, say he isn't. Split decisions are real weird. I think there's not enough judges. There should be at least five yeah. judges. It probably should be 10. And I think we should also have an online judging. I think they should have that. And maybe they don't take it into consideration. In term, but, but for us, what does it say here? Unanimous. Unanimous decision. One by one point on each judge's scorecard, yeah. and I, I disagreed with that. But, you know, that's okay. Um, very interesting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I don't remember when the fight is, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. That's, uh, when is that? 
When is Izzy Yoel? Is that March in Vegas? I think it's, yes, it? Yeah. March in Vegas. And well, Ferguson Khabib is in Brooklyn, right? Yes. You going to that? Yeah. I don't know. It depends if I'm working that weekend. Take that weekend off, Jimmy. I, I got a bunch mm-hmm. of dates that I'm now, are now up, so I may be, I may be working. I don't remember. Um, I'm super pumped for Dominic Reyes and John Jones. Yes. That is a dangerous fight for John Jones. Dominic Reyes, he is not getting enough credit. He's 12 and 0. He has a fucking ruthless left hand. He's super athletic and he's really tall. He's really tall and long. And he's a young guy. He's 30 years old, you know, and John, you know, John has to take that guy really fucking seriously. I did think if I remember correctly, I remember thinking Uzdemir won the fight. Uh, I thought Uzdemir got. Uh, I thought he should have gotten the decision over Dominic Re- Reyes. Yeah, really close. You yeah, know, it's interesting. Close. Look at that stats again. The the tail of the tape, Jamie. Look at the difference in the reach. John Jones has an eighty three and a half, eighty four and a half inch reach, and then you look at Dominic Reyes at seventy seven. That's interesting. That's the width of the shoulders. John is so long. Yeah, you know you're measuring tip to tip. Like this, and one thing that John excels at is keeping people at distance. But he's fighting a guy that's his height. That guy's just as long as him. I mean, not as wide. Obviously, the reach is different in terms of the width of the shoulders. But Dominic Cruz's footwork and movement is excellent. His kicks are excellent. He's got nasty power in his hands. And he's got a lot of confidence, man. He's undefeated yeah. coming in at 12-0. That guy is a killer. What he did to Chris Weidman, I was like, holy yeah. shit. Yeah, it was a rough one to watch. It's it was, hard to watch. Was that? Am I crazy to think that Gustafson had that kind of reach too? Or yes, he did. He yes, did, he right? Did. He was close to closer but to Jones than most guys. Gustafson, although he has fantastic combinations and excellent boxing, does not have one punch power the way Dominic Reyes has. Right. Dominic Reyes sets things up, and when he moves in, boom, he drops things on you, and dudes fold. Like when he fought OSP, he knocked out OSP with no time in the fight. It was basically like a couple of seconds to go in the fight. He cracked OSP, and they didn't give him the knockout, which I don't understand. Cause he, he, I mean, it was way worse than Alistair and, and Rosenstrike. I mean, he, he had OSP out. He was gone, and they, they didn't stop the fight. And I'm like, I don't understand this. This is like, it was confusing to me because he walked away like it was over, and it looked, see if you can find that. Dominic Reyes um, drops OSP. Who was winning the fight at that point? Dominic Reyes was. was. But OSP gave him some trouble. He, he, he gave him some trouble. It, well, I mean, Dominic was definitely winning the fight, but OSP had his moments. Definitely had his moments. And, and, and I watched that fight about uh, a month ago or so. And when I was watching, I was trying to find moments where I think John could capitalize that OSP couldn't. But OSP is a... St- a st- very strong guy. He's a, he's yeah. a, he's, a lot of guys struggle with him, including John Jones. John Jones struggled with OSP. It's a powerhouse, man. Yeah. You can't fuck up with OSP. You know, he, he KOs guys. He'll, he can KO people with one punch. Like he KO'd Shogun with one punch. He KO'd Corey Anderson, I think. Wasn't, and I think uh, J- that was, was John's that first fight one? back after a while. I mean, he had taken that layoff, and that was his first fight back after a suspension or he had been gone for a while. And then yeah. no one thought that OSP was going to go the distance. Didn't they, didn't they go five and he got the yep. decision? Yep, they did. So here it is. So here's Dominic Reyes. Watch, watch this. He's moving. Boom. Oh, yeah. He drops him. Look oh, at that. He's out, yeah. He's out. Look at that. He's just lying there, out. And Dominic Reyes moves off like that's it. And they don't stop the fight. And the referee stands over and lets him get back up to his feet. And the bell rang. And they didn't call it a knockout. I'm like, okay, that's a knockout, man. You could, you know, you couldn't justify keeping that fight going but that's what i bet you overeem wishes 
would have happened was that they would have let him just oh, yeah. walk away. 100%. And that if, listen, if Dan Mergliata and Dan did his job, because Dan's supposed to be the guy that calls the fight, right? I think he should have called the fight, but Dan is supposed to be the guy that calls the fight, not the fighter. So when Dominic, play that again, when Dominic KOs him, all he had to do was follow up with a couple of strikes, and then the fucking show's over. Watch this. But it's beautiful footwork. I love how he did it, too. So OSP's moving because he's behind, and so he's trying to move forward and press and trying to catch him. And Dominic's moving, and OSP presses him, and, you know, and, and he uses good footwork to avoid this, too. He catches that left kick, which is OSP's power side. And as OSP is setting it up, you see he goes southpaw again. So he's looking for that left kick again. There it is. Boom, counters. Look, step over, bang, left hand. And then referee's waiting for him to follow up. So if he just jumped on him there and followed up instead of walking with his hands up, the buzzer may have gone off somewhere around then. I don't know when the buzzer went off. Yeah, it was like 20 seconds, 21 seconds when he hit him. Yeah, but Dan Mergley, see if we can get some volume on that. Oh, no, it was a lot less than that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot less. So right at the horn. Okay. So he dropped him at the horn. I still think they should have stopped it. But I don't know. Whatever. He won the fight. But look, he basically knocked him out with a second to yeah. go. You know? But he's got a different fight in front of him this weekend with John Jones. John Jones has such a history of success against the best fighters on the planet. John finds a way to win, man. He does, man. He finds a way. I, and it's like, that was the good thing about that Gustafson fight, the first one. It was such a... I, I, if I remember right, uh, Jones really turned it on in rounds four and five. Like, yeah. I thought Gustafson was ahead, maybe uh, two to one, and then rounds four and five, Jones won. Yeah. And again, I'm, I, I don't know if that's a correct recollection, but I remember being like, fuck, that's why he's a champion. He won the final round, final for round, sure. Okay. And he wasn't even in shape. He didn't train for that fight. They said he just fucked off and was partying and having a good time. He just thought he was unbe unbeatable. And he said something really interesting to me when he came in here. He said he always gave himself an excuse so that like, if he did lose, he could always say, well, you know what? At least I didn't train. Right. Like If I trained, then I would have beat that guy. But he was still beating people, even though he wasn't training hard. And then he started ramping it up and actually training hard. And when he almost lost everything, you know, when he got arrested and all that shit that happened to him, and he almost lost his career, then when it came back, he had much more of a sense of urgency because he realized, like, what a gift it really was. Yeah. I'm yeah. happy he's back, too. And I honestly, after that, uh, again, I was out there with Matt. And after they told us, like, no, man, the fight's not happening, I thought, like, he, he's, I'm never going to watch him fight again. He'll never fight again. I thought so, too. When he crashed in that lady's car and took off, I was like, oh, my God, he might go to jail. And, you know, I just felt bad that he was doing that in the first place. Just the, all of it. Everything was wrong. Yeah. There's too much partying. But sometimes someone needs some sort of a giant scare, a horrible series of events where you realize, like, oh, I can't, I can't do this anymore. i got to live my life in a better way. Yeah, you have to almost have everything yeah. taken away from you. But I believe that Dominic Reyes is the most dangerous fighter John Jones has faced since Daniel Cormier. I think Dominic Reyes presents a very unique series of challenges. First of all, the length, the undefeated record. He's 12-0. and 0. There's confidence that comes with undefeated fighters, and yep. Dominic is extremely confident. He's... He's a believer in himself, and that belief in himself has led him to stop guys like Chris Weidman, to knock out OSP with one second to go. He's got belief in his power. He's got legit one-punch knockout power. Yeah. He's got great footwork and movement. He just had the opportunity to see John struggle with Tiago Santos. He has 
a style. He can mimic that kind of success, the, the chopping at the legs. I think this is a dangerous fight for John. But I also think John knows it's a dangerous fight for John, and John is a champion, a real champion, the greatest champion the light heavyweight division has ever known unquestionably, and I think he's going to rise to the occasion. I think we're going to see the best John Jones. I think John Jones needs a real threat to scare him and work him up. And I don't know if Tiago Santos was that for him. Maybe like, not. Tiago Santos was a title defense chance for him to fight, but I don't think I don't think that's what he gets scared of. I think John needs someone like a Dominic Reyes, a real threat, so that you see who he was in the second fight with Daniel Cormier when he head kicked DC and knocked him out. The second fight with Gustafson, Gustafson when he smashed yeah. him. That's the real John Jones. John Jones when he when he's pressed. And I think that Dominic Reyes presents that kind of a problem. And I think you're going to see a fucking killer John Jones next weekend. I think he's going to be on fire. I can't wait. That's I'm a so week excited. from this Saturday? Yes. Yeah, yeah I can't I'm wait. I'm so pumped. The moment I stop feeling like this, I'll stop calling fights. But right now, man, I fucking love it. Dude, like there's fight. always fights I want to see. Yeah. Always, always fights I want to see. There's always something I'm looking forward to. There's never not two or three fights on the horizon that I want to see. Look at this. Dana White says, Kamaru Usman versus Jorge Masvidal planned for International Fight Week. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, they just had a little shit at the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, I, th I was wrong, too. I'm a fucking idiot. I thought it was going to be Connor against Masvidal. That's who I thought the next fight was going to be. That's a great fight. That's a great fight. I think Connor really wants Khabib, and uh, Dana keeps saying uh, they're going to try to make a rematch, but I don't know why they're saying that when Khabib has to fight Tony yes. motherfucking Ferguson. Yeah. Tony's the boogeyman. That nickname, El Kukui, that's the perfect nickname for that guy. That guy's terrifying. He never gets tired. No. He never gets tired. Everybody who fights him looks like they fell off a train. <laughs> it's it's crazy. That's the fight everybody has wanted to see. And, and again, is that March or April? Because if Connor April. Okay, yeah, that's still a ways away. And then yep. who knows how that fight goes, how long right. Khabib takes to get better. It been, Khabib doesn't want to have anything to do with Connor. He's like, fuck that dude. And Khabib's dad said, give him $100 million, I'll fight him. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't think he can make $100 million. The only way he can make $100 million is if he gets the kind of numbers that Floyd Mayweather versus Conor got, or if the UFC decides to bankroll it and gamble and give him $100 million. I mean, they might do that. Because here's one thing we have to take into consideration about Khabib. He's not just an enormous star in the United States. He's a huge superstar in the Muslim yeah. world. Huge. Huge. He's a super religious guy. I mean, he celebrates Ramadan. He's... You know, that's he's very respectful. This is one of the reasons yeah. why Connor's trash talking all that was so infuriating to him. He's a different guy, man. He's a man of virtue. He still drives a fucking Toyota. He's worth millions and millions of dollars. He's not he's not a flashy dude. He's a fucking warrior. And he doesn't want to have that kind of situation again. In his eyes, they fought once, he smashed Connor and he got him he got him to tap. Yeah. He choked him. And he's like, good, I did it. Fight's over. I did what I want to do. Fuck you. you know. And right. then when they're saying, oh, we need to make a rematch. No, no, no. No, we had the fight. I fucked him up. He can suck my dick. I'm going to go do other things. You know, that's, that's, that's what he's thinking. I think, not the suck the dick part. Yeah, that's yeah, talking. just, yeah. I think Khabib versus Tony is the toughest fight of Khabib's career. I really believe that. I think Tony Ferguson is a nightmare for anybody, especially right now. When you watch his fight with Anthony Pettis, when you watch how he busted up Donald Cerrone, I think Tony Ferguson is the scariest guy for anybody at 155 pounds to fight. He doesn't get tired. He fucking has bricks for hands. And I had Josh Thompson in here the other day. Josh was saying when, when uh, Tony Ferguson grabs him, 
You know, he said, you can't believe how big his hands are. He said, he wraps his hands around his wrist. He goes, yeah, I couldn't get my hands free. He goes, his fucking hands are so big and strong. That's part of what him. he I've does. I've never been in his presence, so I don't know how. Totally. Yeah. He's a spooky dude. There's something about him. Like, he ain't normal. He's not a normal guy. He's eccentric, but in the good way. Yeah. Like, especially when it comes to being a fighter. He does all his own training. He teaches himself. Like, he's got all this crazy shit he does where he does, like, Wing Chun dummies and break dances. Yeah. There's a lot of shit that Bola nobody Muhammad ever does. just did a video. Did you see the video he put out? Kind yeah. of a, a Tony uh, Ferguson tribute workout video <laughs> in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> it was very amusing. Tony's a, he's a unique individual. There's no other Tony Ferguson. There's no one that I could even think of that reminds me of Tony Ferguson. No one he's so different you know that said khabib's the fucking man i mean no one runs through people the way khabib does he smashes people he drags them to the ground he out wrestles them he pummels them he beats them down you know he's an undeniable unstoppable force the two of them together it's an epic fight but i would not be making any plans if i was dana or if i was anybody else i would not be making any plans because khabib can win that fight yeah Khabib, I mean, Ferguson, yeah. Tony can win that fight too. Either one of those guys, I mean, um, Khabib can win that fight, but it's not guaranteed. Tony can win that fight too. Ferguson can win that fight. They both can win. I just want the fight to happen. This is, is this the fourth or fifth time they've been the scheduled? Fifth. I just want the fight to happen. Dude, I mean, everybody me. does. You're telling me. I'm, I'm just begging and pleading that these guys keep it together. Can only hope, only hope and pray that they keep it together. It's a fucking amazing fight, man. Amazing. And Caitlin is fighting. When is she fighting Valentina? Because I'm going to take her up on that weekend. offer, but I'm not going to do it until. Yeah, she's the co main for Joan yeah, Trance, right? Yeah. yeah. That's uh, a dangerous fight. That's a dangerous fight for her. Valentina's scary. Yeah, she is. She's a killer. That woman's a killer. She has nasty power. When she knocked out Jessica I with that head kick, I'm like, holy fuck, man. Yeah, she's frightening. Uh, I, I mean, I want to see Caitlyn because I know her. So yeah. it's hard to root for people when, you, when you've interviewed all the fighters. You like all of them. It's, you, mm -hmm. you, by rooting for someone, you're kind of by proxy rooting against someone else. So you're like, yep. It's hard to root against someone who you've liked and interviewed. It's hard to be objective when you call yeah. the fight. Like me, as I'm calling the fights, it's very hard. You know, Especially if there's someone like Donald fighting who's actually a good friend. When I watch him fight, you know, it was the really hard one, really hard with Shab, because Shab and I are tight. Yeah, dude, when he would fight, it was so hard for me because I knew he wouldn't, shouldn't be fighting anymore, and he was getting knocked out. I was like, God damn, this is. It was painful. Like I couldn't sleep after the fights. I'd be, I'd be just thinking about it, going, "This, he's got to stop. He's gonna get hurt. Yeah, he's getting hurt. He was getting hurt. He was getting knocked out, and and he's getting knocked out at heavyweight." You know, with guys like Ben Rothwell putting those giant mitts on him and Travis Brown pummeling him. I'm like, fuck. You know, it's just like, this This is not good. You know, and I, I'm so close with him. He's, you know, he's one of my favorite people. So me watching him getting beat up, I was like, fuck. It was so hard to call his fights. It was so hard. Yeah, because you're watching somebody you care about get hurt. Yeah, and I have to be excited. You know, when Travis is putting it on him, I mean, I have to treat it like I don't even like Brendan. Like, we're not even friends. I have to treat it like it's just a fight. You know, it's hard. But it's also, you know, just hard personally. Not hard in the moment, but hard on you after it's over. It's like, you know, when you're watching someone fight that shouldn't be fighting anymore, whether it's someone you're close to, like I was close with Brendan, or whether it's, you know, there's, there's fighters that, you know, fight towards the end of their career, like BJ Penn, some of his last fights. I'm like, God damn it. You know? He was a legend and in his prime. He's like one of the greatest of all time, guaranteeing, like a real phenom, a freak. 
and to see him just be a shell of himself. Or like in when, the street, fighting yeah. in the street. Yeah, that was awful. When really was awful. When Frankie Edgar beat the fuck out of him, I was like, someone's got to stop him. He's got to stop. When Frankie got on top of him, was just smashing him. I was like, someone's got, someone's got to stop this. He can't do this anymore. It's hard, man. You know, it's it's the greatest thing those guys ever experience in their life, and something that you or you or I will never be able to appreciate. We've never experienced that kind of glory. It's, yeah, it's a it's a it must be a high that's indescribable. I'll never feel it, but it must be. To be a world champion like a BJ Penn, fuck, man. It's got to be hard to chase that yeah. for the next 30 years trying to find anything. It's like someone who stops doing stand-up on a lesser level. Like, What do you do to make you feel good or to, to right. bring you that? There's right. nothing. Well, the beautiful thing about stand-up is we don't have to stop. No. George Carlin died in a hotel room. Didn't he uh, uh, have a heart attack? Didn't he go to the hospital? Did I'm he? fairly sure he went to the hospital. Oh, okay. But he died when he was staying in a hotel room. He's yeah. staying on the road. Doing he's a gig. working. Yeah. Yeah, he drove and That's uh, right. Ralphie died in a hotel room, right? Or he didn't die at someone's house. Panette might have died in a hotel. Yeah. I believe John Panette died in a hotel room. I think he you're was, right. Um I saw he had lost so much weight and I saw him I was like, How you doing, man? Like because he, he, he was trying to get off all the stuff he was on. Yeah. And then uh, was he on pills? I heard he was. Yeah, I didn't know him. I was close. Like he knew I was sober, so we talked briefly about it. But it wasn't a long conversation. When I was first starting out, when I was an open micer, Panette was one of the favorite guys at Nick's Comedy Stop in Boston. And uh, um, you know, he was established when I was just starting out. And I remember watching him just murder one night. He had this bit about uh, going to an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet, and they're screaming at him, "You get out! Oh yeah, yeah. You eat too much." It's like, you go now, yeah. Yeah, you go now. Yeah, that was what it was. Very famous bit. And, oh. I, and I, he murdered, we did a fucking Montreal one time. It was like a gala and all of us were bombing. I, Anthony Clark ate his dick. I ate my dick. Nobody <laughs> was doing well. And this was a gala in Montreal. And we're like, ah, this crowd sucks. And then fucking Panette went on and blew a hole through the stage. And oh. you're like, it was us. He had so much power. He was so good. Yeah, he was so good. He had so much power. And I think the only thing that ever held him back was his health you know i think if he was healthier he, right you know he would have been able to because he had energy on stage like he was he was fucking going yeah when he was on stage and that's you know he real boston style that aggressive attacking yeah. style and just murderously funny yeah it's got to be hard too when you're when you're fat and your whole thing is like i'm a big fat guy and I, there's so much material built around it and it's who you are right it's got to be scary to lose the weight oh yeah it is it is hard well you know kevin james when uh he was young he had a different manager and you know, we have the same manager now but he had a different manager and his manager literally told him if you lose weight you're losing roles like roles in tv shows right right and right and i was like you don't fucking listen to that guy I'm like what are you talking about you don't think you're going to be funny if you're thinner the fuck out of here. you're funny dude yeah you're funny all the time like but they, they they'll mind fuck you you know they wanted him to be the jolly fat guy and like the, there's money in the jolly fat guy like do you want do you want this guy to stay alive you fucking asshole but you wonder too if you change like i always wonder if i change the things i hate about myself or that i don't like about myself am i funny anymore I nothing to talk about talk if I'm, me. call me if you don't think so you're funny man but you're I, funny period it's not rational it's like yes. a crazy thought you have like what do I do without this well, stuff? Well, I'm very lucky I don't have that thought process, but you can get away with it too. You can get out of that thought process. You don't need that. That that thing, if I if I do that, will I be any good? You're good. You're a great joke writer. You're a funny comic. You kill. You make me laugh hard. You're one of the few guys like 
when I was in Austin, I was doing some shit with On It. Remember that time yeah. you were working there? And I came to see you at the yes. comedy club. I had a great time. You made me happy. It was fun. You know, it was, it was right. fun sitting in the crowd and watching you kill. It was great. And your kind of comedy is my kind of comedy. So, like, you know, it was, it was a treat. I was like, this is great. So if you don't think that if you got healthy or something like that, you wouldn't be yeah. funny. You're crazy. But it's just that crazy thing that you think. It's, it's like, yeah. like a non irrational thing. It's the thing right. that you're, it's the tape that plays. It's also a defense mechanism. Like your, your brain is trying to trick you into not getting better because there's a lot of pressure in improving yourself. That's why junkies a lot of times fall back. You know, alcoholics fall back. They fall back on it because there's comfort in failing because they've failed so many times before. The pressure right. of not, not 99 days of no drinking, I can't believe it. That happens with gamblers too. With gamblers, man. Oh, there's the fucking rush of the gambling. Hey, I've been good, man. I've been good. I ain't playing the cards. I ain't doing shit. I'm, you know, I've been jogging a lot. And then one day you see them all fucking eyes wide, crazy, yeah. looking like they're exhausted, been playing cards all night fucking or something. Fucking shirts untucked, yeah. half untucked, yeah. The gambling one, man. I never got into that one. Gambling scares me. That terrifies me because I know I would lose everything. Sure, it's like sex. It's like everything else. It's like drugs or anything. Anything that's a compulsion where it becomes your main obsession more than positive things in your life. Yeah, it's and it's what are you willing to sacrifice for? Like, because people think, ah, well, with sex, you, sex is not addicting, but it's like anything else. What am I willing to give up to get it? Right. And what am I willing to sacrifice or risk? To engage in it, yes. like, are you willing to risk your freedom? Are you willing to risk your whatever? Right. There's a lot of things that addiction makes you do, and yeah. they're just not normal people behavior. Yeah, it's not normal people behavior, and you wonder, like, what is the root of those kinds of obsessions? Like, what what evolutionary benefit is being obsessed with sex, or being obsessed with gambling, or being obsessed with drugs? Like, what is it that makes people gravitate towards those things, where just everything else seems so secondary? And then now, like, I got to get to the casino. Got to get to that fucking casino. I knew people like that, especially from my pool hall days. Real gambling junkies that were always chasing that dragon. Yeah. Always trying to score, playing the lotto and looking to gamble on games and cards. And, you know, like Artie Lang, who talks about it. I mean, with Artie, the gambling thing was really similar to him to the drug thing. You know, the gambling, the addiction to gambling, like he, he just loved being in action. Come on, yeah. what do we got? And that was a thing a lot like the drug thing. I can't do it with sports. It just seems like such a fucking waste of money. Like I just can't put that kind of energy into hoping. Come on, two outs to go. Oh, fucking exhausting. <laughs> and I, I can't make myself do it. And I'm glad I can't because I know I would like it. Like Rich Voss was a fucking horrible gambler. So I kind of learned a lot from watching Voss uh -huh. and how out of control and how obsessive he was and I'm like I, I know I would be it makes that. watching fights more fun I don't gamble on fights I used to I used to gamble in the old days of the UFC because nobody told me I couldn't I'm like I can't affect the the outcome sure I'm just calling the fight but uh, then when I stopped uh, Aubrey my partner at on it I uh, I would give him tips we'd sit down with the the card and I'm, I'm like fucking 89% man are you really oh my god yeah he'd win so and there was a few that would come out every now and then where I'd be like, bet the fucking house. You know, there's a few of the the people that are making the odds, they don't know. You know, they didn't know who, Ander they knew Anderson Silva was good. They didn't know he was that good. That one, I was like, what is this? I mean, was it three to one? Bet, but what do you, how much do you own? <laughs> Push it all on the Brazilian. Push it all, baby. There's, a, there's always a few fights where a guy comes up from another organization and I'm like, listen to me right now. 
that guy is a motherfucking murderer. You got to put all the money on that guy. And, you know, we were like, one time, Arby and I, with me, you know, as a pick, I think he was at 89% over a period of like a couple of years. I have such a shit record of picking fights. Me and Matt used to do a thing at the end of Unfiltered where, hey, let's let's just try to guess the car. I was fucking horrendous at it. It's really hard. It's to hard. Do. Really it's hard. hard. It's well with some fights. You just you're just guessing. With some fights you're literally guessing. You're just like, I don't know. I don't know. Tony Ferguson and Khabib. I'm guessing. It's hard to bet against Khabib. But it's hard to bet against Ferguson. The last time Ferguson lost was when he got a broken arm versus Michael Johnson. And he's run through world-class fighter after world-class fighter since then. Um, I think he's a fucking monster. But I don't know. I don't know who's going to win that fight. I mean, it's real hard to bet against Khabib. Khabib's undefeated, 28-0, smashes everybody. Yeah. But Tony's got an interesting style. He can fight off his back. He fights on the ground. He's not going to try to get back up. He's going to attack off of his back. And everybody loses sometime. I mean, most yep. guys don't retire undefeated. So yes. the yeah. odds get... Well, that's why I thought that one loss with Jones might have taken that pressure off him. Mm-hmm. Look at uh, Tai Tuivasa. Yeah. What was he? Was he, I, I want to say 8-0 at one point, and then mm-hmm. he's lost three. Right. He's a great fighter, but it might get in your head a little bit. There might be something that happens when you lose that first fight. Well, Ty, you know, Ty's fighting the best in the world you know, at heavyweight. And at heavyweight, you can't make any mistakes, man. Those giant dudes with big-ass fists come slamming on yeah. your head. Especially the Ngannou. <laughs> Can't make any mistake. That fight, I'm so curious. Me too. I would lean towards Ngannou, but I don't know how much. Rosenstrike can fight, man. He can fight. He's nasty. I want to see what it's like. You know, look, I thought Ngannou had an edge over Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis won that fight. And I know that was Ngannou dealing with the worry after he had lost to Stipe. Yeah. And he was really psychologically had an issue. Didn't fight his, his fight. But Rosenstrike's a different animal, man. Rosenstrike's a different animal than Derek Lewis. Because he's, he's a real seasoned professional kickboxer. I'm going to take Ngannou only because of what he's done since that loss. Those three. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I thought Blades actually stood a chance because he had that one fight where it was, a, I think, a doctor stoppage in the second. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, he's taken Ngannou's punches before. He may be in his head a little bit. Fucking ran through him, Kane, and Junior. So yep. I, I can't ever pick against Ngannou again until he loses again. Well, he's better now than he's ever been before. And I think the loss to Stipe ultimately, I know he's, he's struggled a little bit in the Derek Lewis fight, but I think the loss to Stipe ultimately ultimately has made him a better fighter. Yeah, He just understands what it's like to lose. He understands what it's like to face the best heavyweight on record ever in Stipe. You know, he went five rounds with the GOAT. Stipe's the GOAT. I mean, yeah, he is. He's, the, he's defended the title more than anybody that's ever done it in the history of the heavyweight division. And having that kind of experience against a guy like Stipe, I think is fucking hugely valuable. So I'm going to train. The next time I see you, I'll have, I will have yes. trained. I'm committing to do it. it. I've been on, committing bro. for two years to nap, but I'm committing that I'm going to do it. Bourdain didn't start till he was 58. I know. Yeah. He I got know. obsessed with it. I yeah, he's seen with fights. He loved, loved, loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Dude, when I did his television show, he and I were rolling around in the dirt. I was showing him positions. And I was like, you got long arms. Do you like Darces? He's like, yeah. I go, I got another move for you. You know about the Japanese necktie? We're going all these in the grass. Like, I'm like, from now from here, you got to turn it. And we're doing all this stuff. He was like obsessed. He, he loved, loved it. it. He loved it. Yeah, it was it was amazing to see because I had known him before when he was drinking and smoking and was fat and out of shape and taking statins because his high blood pressure, his his his, his blood, cholesterol, blood pressure. What's statins for? Cholesterol, right? Is that what it is? Yeah, it, his his body was very unhealthy, and the doctors gave him an option. It's like, look, you could change the way you eat or take these statins, and he decided to take statins. Yeah. 
you know, because he loved drinking and eating and stuff. But then he got obsessed with jujitsu and he did, he got off the medication and didn't need it anymore. Lost all his weight, looked ripped, you know, it was, it was interesting. And I think a lot of people that have addictive personalities, and he certainly did, they can benefit from something that you're addicted to that's really good. Remember you saying that your mom used to say that to you, you know, replace it with something better. She left me a message because I had uh, talked about getting prostitutes on the radio, so she quoted Dr. <laughs> Phil. That's right. And I made it a, a, one of my message on my second CD about, go, you meet some nice people. But she was right. <laughs> I met nice people. I felt better about myself when I went to yeah. the gym. Mother was right. Yeah. She was right. You just, you know, you got to replace one thing with the other. The thing about going to the gym is sometimes you just go to the gym, it's fucking boring, and people quit. They don't feel stimulated enough. But if you take classes... That's when it's fun. Yeah. Like you take yoga classes or kickboxing classes or someone's teaching you things. Then it becomes fun. I just have two trainers. Like I like having a trainer because it makes me go. I mm -hmm. have to show up because on yeah. my own, I'm fucking worthless. That <laughs> helps. That helps. Classes are good too, though, because a bunch of people are doing it with you. And like there's a bunch of people in there and you're struggling. I like yoga because of that. Because we're all in it together, you know? We're all struggling together. I've done some yoga, but I just did I did a little bit. I, I, I didn't have the patience for it. You're breathing. Focus on your breathing. I don't know how to focus on my breathing. My breathing mm. sucks. So I can't breathe deep. I don't do it your right. Your nose is jacked. Uh, yeah. Terrible. Get, get your nose fixed, homie. I got to wrap this up. All right, great, it's, man. It's four o'clock. Um, listen, man, always a pleasure. Yes. I'm glad we did this. Me too, buddy. Every chance we can. Can I ask people to watch The Degenerates yes. uh, on Netflix um, on season two and uh, just go to my site. I got a whole bunch. Oh, and The Irishman. They asked me to plug The Irishman. Are you in The Irishman? Yes. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. I played Don Rickles. Oh, shit. Do you really? Yeah, That's yeah. That's amazing. I got one scene. Uh, I got to watch that movie. Um, Jim Norton on Instagram. Jim Norton on Twitter. Yeah. JimNorton.com. You got it. All right. Love you, buddy. I love you, man. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Thanks for me. being here. Bye, everybody. That was awesome. That was great.